Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console, the Xbox One. I'm said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of September 17, 2020, including Sony has revealed the price and release date info of the PS5, meaning we now have all the info for the next-gen consoles. Ubisoft had some big announcements during their second Ubisoft Forward event. Microsoft is definitely not buying Bungie again, and more. got a massive week of news let me just preface with this so this was already shaping up to be a pretty big week in terms of news happening in the xbox sphere uh, just by normal standards to the point where there was already like normal what would normally be considered a pretty like regular news story that is being like relegated to like small news story now just because there's just so much news and then on top of that sony just had their massive playstation 5 event which just finished up uh, a couple hours ago, as of the time of this recording, I was at work wrapping up my shift as as all the big news was blowing up on, on the internet. So we will be talking about that first and foremost this episode. A, cu- a couple things to get out of the way. Why are we talking about PlayStation on Xbox podcast this week? Well, because right now everything with, with all the next-gen consoles being so imminent, I think PlayStation news is very relevant to Xbox gamers and vice versa in, in a time like now. So I think I think most of you understand or are at least interested in hearing about this, so it makes sense. We will get into Xbox news as well this week, but we're going to also go over Sony's event in, in particular, what that means in regards to Xbox. Now, additionally to that, additionally to that, this, this show is going to be a little bit of a mess just because I was trying to organize it, but it was already being such a shaping up to be such a big week for news, and then this Sony event ended up being a little bigger than I thought. I don't know why. For some reason, I thought it was going to be smaller events, a little more just focused on pricing and pre-ordering information and release dates and stuff, but it ended up being more like a second E3 kind of showing. So we've got a lot to get into with that event and and just all the rest. So we're going to minimize the comments this week. I don't I don't know how we're going to do comments, but we're, we're going to jump into the news first. So not your regular shenanigans of shit talking and talking about food and, and Tanali Maya r- ripping on Lethal Migraine, all that kind of stuff. We're Rather, we're just going to jump into everything happening with Sony, maybe get into some comments if, if time allows for it, and then go into our regular run of show with Xbox-related news or more directly Xbox-related news. Um, but And then on, on, on top of all that, this is actually the second time I'm recording the show tonight. I got about 35 minutes into recording, uh, and then Audacity decided to crash on me and just said, hey, I, I heard you're already having a stressful week with getting home late, a big news week, a lot of editing and recording to do. You're probably going to be up all fucking night. So let me go ahead and just crash on you so you can restart from scratch, you, you stupid piece of shit. And so that's what that's what my computer and Audacity decided to do to me. So we're running with it. There's literally nothing I can do about it. So we'll just uh, just hit re-record and start again. So just just know... I've already said everything I'm about to say before. It's just this is the only time you're going to hear it. So without further ado, let's let's try to calm down. I'm already I'm a little I'm a little heated right now just because of the show getting deleted. But I've got a nice cold Mountain Dew voodoo in my hand, and we're gonna try to take it slow and and get through this week's episode. Exciting week! All right, guys. So one quick little thing I wanted to get out of the way before we actually jump into the the Sony thing is I saw this article going around from IGN and, and some other sites talking about how. Xbox Series S won't be compatible with with games that received or updates that were received for or that were made for Xbox 
1X. So, like, as you'll recall, some 1X games got patches like a Gears 5 patch, things like that, to make games run and look a little better on the 1X than they did on the regular Xbox One. And then it was revealed this week that a lot of those updates and patches won't work on the Xbox Series S. And then I saw people being like, well, if Xbox is like the new PC kind of thing where it's just like, you know, new hardware just runs old games better all the time, then how does this make sense? And Xbox is stupid. Series S is less powerful than the One X. And guys, that's I, I just want to say this a lot of a lot of stupidity going around. Let's make it very clear. Xbox One X is a last generation console that was beefed up with like a nicer GPU and stuff like that to help get the console to 4k spec but it's built on older an older processor it's built on the old xbox one processor that was already a little dated for the time when it came out in 2013 so it's a last gen console that's beefed up to to run 4k to look a little nicer to run a little better but it's not a next gen console the xbox series s is a next gen console it's using a modern pretty powerful cpu and it's got really powerful internals and the ssd S, sorry, the SSD and the and all, and all the rest, like the Xbox Series X, it is a very powerful console, but its focus is on frame rates and load times and, and being fast and powerful and, and having impressive specs. Its its focus is not on the resolution. That's why Xbox Series S is different. It's not a 4K box, but it is more powerful and runs games better than the One X. So it's, it's next gen. It's just not meant for 4K, which is, again... Not something people have adopted the way I think a lot of gamers are thinking, you know. Remember, 1080p made 480p obsolete and looked like complete shit. 4K hasn't done that. 1080p still looks damn good. 1440p, a lot of, a lot of gamers in, in the PC space, they're on that 1440p so they can prioritize their frame rates over the resolution. 1440p, 1080p, these resolutions look very good even today, even in a world where 4K and now to an extent 8K exists. 4K is not like a mandatory thing for a modern video game. It is it is like a special pretty perk. It is like a thing for the person who just has to have it all. But it's not it's not a mandate, okay? So I feel like this needs to be understood that 4K, yes, it looks nice. It looks better than 1080p. It's not something that immediately makes other forms of HD completely obsolete. Series S is very much a next-gen console, but it's its focus is on next-gen performance, not 4K, whereas Xbox One X was a last-gen console that's focus was on getting games to 4K while also offering, a, you know, a performance boost along the way. It's very different things, very different consoles, and I need people to understand this, so it doesn't make sense that all these, like, 4K patches and shit are just going to work on the Series S. They're different consoles with different hardware specs that seek to accomplish different things. And yes, Series S will still make older games and and one games and 360 games look and run better, but no, it's not going to adopt these 4K Xbox One X specific patches for a console that has different internals. So I, I don't understand the confusion. It doesn't mean the Series S is less powerful. It doesn't mean the Series S won't run games better than they did on like the regular Xbox One. It's just a really stupid confusion I saw a lot of like mainstream games media talking about and just kind of butchering. So just want to bring that to light. But with that out of the way, let's jump into Sony's little conference they did today where they, they finally talked about PlayStation 5 pricing and release dates and all that jazz. Finally, we can we can get all of this into the air. No more speculating on prices and release dates and who's better and who's going to win and all that shit. We just we got all the cards on the table. So PlayStation 5 is coming in two SKUs, as you already know. There's the digital edition and the PS5. Now, unlike the Xbox consoles, 
you know, on Xbox, you got the Series X, which is the more powerful console for 500 bucks, and then Series S is the less powerful non-X or non-4K focused box with less storage for $300. For $300, very big price gap, uh, different specs. They are different SKUs of the same generation of console. Whereas PlayStation 5 is the exact same console, but one has a disk drive and one doesn't. Same specs, same storage, same everything else. Same box or with or without a disk drive. They're both Coca-Colas. One has ice and one doesn't. But yeah, the pricing. So the 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 one with a disk drive, the complete kitted version of the PlayStation 5 is $499. So 500 bucks. And then the digital edition will be 400 for 399 if you if you like to talk in marketing terms. So a massive $100 gap between the two boxes. And the only difference is the disk drive. So this really caught me off guard. 500 bucks for the standard PS5. That's exactly what I was expecting. So that that's that doesn't phase me at all. But $400 for the digital edition, I think, is a massive deal. And I think this is going to do very well for PlayStation, for Sony. So to put this into perspective, disk drives are not very expensive components. When you when you talk about what drives up the cost of a console, it's your SSD, it's your CPU, it's, it's obviously like your GPU and stuff like that. That's what makes a console an expensive piece of tech. The, the hard drive falls in line with that thing, uh, with that like mid-tier kind of component or, or lower-end component where it's really not that expensive. And yes, it's a Blu-ray player, so it's not nothing. But I, I can't imagine, you know, at, at mass market, at, at mass manufacturing costs, I cannot imagine when you break down the cost per unit that Sony's spending more than like, I don't know, like between like 15 and 25 bucks per disk drive, if even that, you know? So it blows my mind that they're able to do a whopping $100 difference in price between the the consoles when the only thing different is that one has a disk drive and one doesn't. Now, that report was out a few months ago that said, you know, PlayStation 5 reportedly costs like what, like $450 to manufacture. So it looks like, you know, after everything, there might be like a little bit of a profit on a PS5 regular at $500. Um, if not, they're eating a little bit of the cost. But with the digital edition, I assume that they're able, you know, for, for $400, I assume they had to eat some of that cost because, again, that disk drive is not that expensive of a component. It's not a $100 difference in price level component. Component. This is definitely a deliberate move to compete with Xbox and to have an, a more affordable uh, skew on the market to, to get in and compete more in line with the Xbox Series S. So make no mistake about that. Now, I was dead set that this console would be 450 so the fact that they were able to get this thing down by a full $100 compared to the more expensive model, I think says quite a bit and, and will mean nothing but great success for Sony. In fact, I think this cements that Sony is going to easily win this console generation in terms of, in terms of console sales, because remember PlayStation is in that kind of Apple space where it's like, it doesn't matter which one you like better or which one's objectively more powerful. There are plenty of phones more powerful than the latest iPhone, but guess what? iPhone is the brand that's built itself with trust, build quality, you know, it, it's, it has that great ecosystem of users and features and stuff that everyone wants to be a part of. And that's kind of what PlayStation is in the gaming sphere, where 
PlayStation is a reliable brand. People know it has great exclusives. The consoles are built well. They're reliable. They're relatively affordable. They're quiet. They're good. The ecosystem's good. Pl- people play on it. It's, you're told it's popular. All that shit. It, whether you like it or not, that's just what PlayStation is. It's that brand that people know they can rely on and expect. And and it kind of has that, that Honda tax, you know, that thing where it's like we can make, you know, Honda can make the same car that Kia makes, the same car that Hyundai makes, the same car that Chevy makes. And then they can go, but it's, you know, it's $7,000 more because it's a Honda and everyone knows Hondas are so reliable and they get such great gas mileage and they're so, you know, so much bang for your buck in that. So it's one of those things where PlayStation gets to be a little more, a little more loose with the pricing. PlayStation gets to say our cheap box is 400 and get away with it because it puts them squarely in that territory of, oh, well, you know, if, if I'm a budget conscious consumer, you know, I'm not going to go for the $500 PlayStation or the $500 Xbox, but this $300 Xbox is really enticing. But, you know, I have a PS4. All my friends are on PlayStation. I've always liked PlayStation. Can I go 400 instead of 300 and just get a PS5? I mean, it's a more powerful box than the Series S because, you know, it has the, the fast SSD and all that shit. It's, it's closer in line with the Xbox Series S in terms of competitive power advantage and all this shit. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's a more, it's a more competitive next gen console. All, all it doesn't have is the disc drive. Like, can I, can I justify the extra cost? You know, can I settle in the middle, not, not go to the highest end, but not go to the lowest end and just settle in the middle for the digital PlayStation. Can I do that? And I think you'll find a lot of people do just that. Like people could, you know, people could go out there and choose a $250 Nokia phone over an iPhone every day of the week if they wanted to, but they don't. And they go with the iPhone 7 because it's cheaper now that the iPhone 10 and 11 are out. And they go with the iPhone SE because it's a more affordable way to get iPhone in your pocket but not break the bank. And, you know, it, so it's the same thing with PlayStation here where it's like, you know, you could go with the Xbox because it's 300 bucks, but but you could also go with the PlayStation for 400 bucks, and then it's not breaking the bank because it's not the $500 one. It's not the most expensive one. It's it's just somewhere in the middle. It's the it's the mid tier, and I think that's a really competitive market. I think that's the market that always we always see sell the best too, right? It's people like mid range stuff. You know, people aren't not everyone in the world is dropping $1,200 on a smartphone. A lot of people are dropping like four to $700 on a smartphone. Not everyone's. Not everyone's settling for the shitty $150 smartphone. A lot of people will put out $300, $400 for a smartphone. And that's kind of what the, I I look at this and see the PlayStation Digital Edition as. It's like, yeah, it's, I mean, it's not the cheapest box. You could go cheaper. You could get more bang for your buck if you get an Xbox Series S. But if you want to be in the PlayStation ecosystem and be on the brand that everyone knows and loves, you you can't not have the PlayStation. If you go to work and tell everyone you bought the Xbox Series S, you might get fired. You might get canceled. They might call you a bigot. You know, you got to have the PlayStation. So I I think $400 puts them squarely in that space where they can milk some of those Xbox Series S consumers to just, you know, spend just a little more and you can stay with PlayStation. And it also adds a really competitive option to people who were thinking, oh, maybe I'll jump ship, or maybe Xbox gamers are saying, I'm not buying another PlayStation. This is just a very friendly price range to be in. Remember, the PS4 came out at $400 in 2013, and that was a good price back then for a new console. We're seven years later, with inflation and everything taken into consideration, $400 for the PlayStation 5 is a really great price, and the only thing you're missing out on is a disk drive. That's fucking great, you know? And that brings me to my other point where I think 
Same can be said for Microsoft as well here, where maybe they do eat a little more of the cost on the digital console because, again, I don't think the disk drive is the difference of $100 in manufacturing costs. So I, I they've got to be eating more of the cost on the digital edition. But I, I think maybe it's a bit of a long-term game here where, you know, if you buy an, if you buy a PlayStation or an Xbox that has a disk drive, that unlocks the ability for you to go to GameStop, go to Amazon, uh, buy used games or cheaper games or borrow a game from your friend once they're done playing it and play it on your console. And in the long run, that's less money for Sony. But if your console's digital, that's that's it. All you can fucking do is go to PlayStation Store on, on your console and download games from there. So it kind of locks people in a little more and says you have to buy games from our our proprietary marketplace you have to have our services to, to get these, you know, like why would you buy a digital console and not have PlayStation plus? Why would you buy an Xbox series S and not have game pass unless you're like Adolf Hitler? Like you're just doing it wrong. If you buy this affordable entry level digital only box and then not getting the subscription service that is meant to complement this, this piece of hardware. So I think maybe long term it, it, it means that someone who buys the digital only box is a little more locked into your ecosystem, therefore is only spending money on your marketplace. And therefore you're getting more proceeds because remember if you buy God of war from GameStop, you know, they, they got to cut a little bit with like the shipping partners and the distributors and the, and the retailer, they, they eat, they share a little bit more of that cost. But when you download God of war from PlayStation store directly, PlayStation's able to eat like 100%, if not, you know, close to 100% of that money and just get it all. That's a lot more of a gain for them. So in the long run, you know, assuming the attachment rate's pretty solid, which for PlayStation consoles, we know the attachment rate's usually pretty good. That means that someone who buys an, a PlayStation Digital Edition, yeah, maybe Sony eats a little bit of the cost because they got it for so cheap, but that consumer now is only going to buy their games through Sony. And only going to download is going more likely probably to subscribe to services like PlayStation Plus, meaning that in the long run, Sony will make more money off that consumer. Whereas the guy who has the PlayStation with a disc drive has the ability to go on eBay and buy a used game or go to GameStop and buy a used game or borrow a game from their friend. And so I think there's a little bit of that logic in there as well. And same could be said for Xbox where yeah, $300 for a series X S is a great deal. And wow, Microsoft must be eating a lot of the costs on that. But again, it's like, you can't borrow a game from your friend. Now, I know there's digital borrowing, and I know you can buy digital copies of games on Amazon, but shut up. I was proud of this. I was proud of this 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 argument, so just let me have this, you fucking idiot, okay? Um, but no, I really do think that makes up for a, a decent amount of of money spent on these on these platforms. And I think that's that's why Sony and Microsoft have been pushing for digital. That's why we keep seeing more incentives incentives to pre-order digital and to buy digital and big sales on digital storefronts because they want you to slowly move away from your habits of going to Best Buy and going to GameStop to buy your games and to start thinking more about these platforms and these services because then they can make more money. It's a more direct approach. It's Microsoft selling you the game. It's Sony selling you the game. They can cut out everyone else. And that's that's a really appealing situation to be in. So that's that's why we live in the age of these companies trying to get us to go a little pushing us a little more saying, guys, stop insisting on cluttering your shelves with physical media. You stupid dolts. Like just you you dumb you dumb idiots. Just buy the digital console. It will save you so much space. It'll be so much easier to just press the home button and select the game rather than having to move discs around and crap. Just stop being, stop being a dumb idiot and just download your shit. So, but yeah, overall, I think this price is incredibly competitive. I, I was, a, I was very confident that the series S was going to do extraordinarily well. And now I'm a little more, 
I'm a, I'm a little less optimistic about that. I really think that the digital PS5 is going to be a really competitive box, and it will be extremely interesting to see how holiday sales work out between Xbox and PlayStation. Not not by comparison of their $500 premiere boxes, but by their four and $300 boxes that will no doubt draw more attention just due to their more affordable nature of the of the console. But another thing that I haven't really seen anyone draw to attention here with the pricing is 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 the European pricing. So 500 bucks for the PS5 in North in North America or in the US and 400 for the digital one. But if you look in the UK, it's like it's like a little more. So if you look in the UK, it's like 449 for a PS5 and then 359 for for a digital edition. But if you look at like the Xbox consoles, they're they're cheaper in the UK. It's like I think it's like 250 pounds, 250 pounds for a, a, a Series S, which is like what the fuck? And I think it's 449. I don't I don't really remember on the Series X, but I think the Xbox consoles are actually more affordable in the UK in particular and, and in certain parts of Europe. So the pricing is a little funny. Once you once you stop looking at like the US pricing and stuff, the pricing gets a little more like wacky. And I I, I read somewhere, I don't see it here on this on this sheet I'm looking at now, but I saw somewhere that apparently like the PS5 price in Australia is like pretty absurd. It's a little more expensive than the Xbox. So again, the price is attractive in in markets like the US and probably Japan as well, but like it looks like in in like Australia and more importantly in Europe the, the pricing is a little more competitive when you look at the Xbox side of things. And I think that's a big thing because when you look at Asia, you see a predominantly PlayStation market. When you look at the U.S. or North America and Australia, you see often, well, U.S. is a little more competitive. But, like, Australia in particular is, is usually heavily Xbox skewed. Um, but then you look at Europe and it's it's kind of like a... It's kind of like a, what we call a swing state here in the U.S. when it comes to elections, where you know sometimes it goes blue, sometimes it goes red, sometimes it's PlayStation, sometimes it's Xbox. So if you think about Xbox trying to kind of win the election, so to speak, in this very specifically American-centric analogy I'm making here, it, it, it's, it would make sense to try and be a little more competitive and try to undercut PlayStation just a little bit more when you think about markets like, like Europe and, and more specifically the U.K., where... You know, sometimes they go a little harder on PlayStation. Sometimes they go a little harder on Xbox. And if you're Microsoft, you know that's a realistically attainable market to to have the have the mass or to have the majority of. You're going to go a little harder in trying to be competitive there than say Japan, where you know Xbox is obviously making strides to be more available and more competitive and more thought of in Japan. But like we all know damn well that. Xbox will always be number three in Japan or number four in Japan, maybe number five in Japan to PlayStation. You know, in Japan, it's all about like mobile phones and Nintendo Switch and PlayStation 4 and PC and then maybe Xbox. Like, I don't I don't fucking know. They might be playing more on the Ouya over in, in Japan than they're playing on the PlayStation like or the Xbox rather. That's just how unpopular Xbox is over there. But, you know, so obviously Xbox wants to make a presence there, but I don't think they need to be as competitive in Japan as they need to be in places like Europe where they actually have a market that likes them and, and, and buys from them. And they, they just have to be a little more competitive to kind of beat out Sony. So I haven't seen anyone draw that, that, that connection there. Maybe I'm totally wrong on this, but I'm pretty sure Xbox is a little more affordable, particularly in the UK um, than it is elsewhere. And then, so yeah, that's, that's basically the bulk of it with the pricing and everything. Now the box is coming out on the 12th, 12th in in a handful of territories. I think it's like Japan, Korea, US, Canada, and a few others. And then it comes out in Europe on like the 19th. So that's another advantage Xbox has, especially in Europe where 
it's it's worldwide release for the Xbox consoles on November 10th, whereas PlayStation is two days later on the 12th, and then a lot of markets, including Europe, don't get it until the 19th. So Xbox has that like week and a half advantage of being on the market first, which is which is really nice to have. So I think you know maybe some more competitive pricing, plus being on the market first, plus just having the most affordable box on the market. Period, are all really good situations for Xbox to be in as we head into this generation. But still, I don't know, man. I was. I was slightly optimistic about Series S after we learned about its price last week, but now that I see PlayStation is going to offer their most affordable box for 400 bucks, I'm kind of thinking PlayStation's still going to just absolutely clobber Xbox this generation in terms of console sales. Now, again, you know, at the end of the day, I don't I don't work for Microsoft. I don't own stock in my, Microsoft. I don't have any reason to really give a shit other than the fact that I'm just a fan and I like to see my brand that I love do well and succeed because it means good things for them. It means good things for us as fans. But if I'm just being blatantly honest, I think PlayStation has just so much cachet as a brand. I think it just has so much goodwill going for it from the mass market that it's really going to take a lot for PlayStation to just have to take a step down from Xbox. Um, but I, I don't think Xbox has everything it needs with, with PlayStation saying, Hey, here's a $400 PlayStation that has all the features of the other, of the most expensive box. It just doesn't have a disc drive. Uh, I think that's a really compelling argument to make. Uh, and then Xbox conversely, like, yeah, they have the most affordable box. They have all access, which makes it so easy to finance. They have game pass, which just gives you all the games in the world period. It's just so great. But and they don't have Halo, they don't have Fable, they don't have big games coming out this fall. And while I personally don't care because I'm happy to play all the millions of games on my backlog this holiday season, I know that's not a really sexy story to tell you know the mass market, to tell people, check out our new Xbox that has no console exclusives this fall. You know, it's like, that's not really a fun story to tell. But to look over at PlayStation and be like, oh yeah, we got Spider-Man, we got we got Dark Souls, we got this, this, this little uh, kitty game that comes packed in the box or whatever it is. You know, and our our box is four hundred dollars, and you're already interested because it's a PlayStation. It's like, oh, that's that's really a competitive advantage. So, I don't know. Again, this is going to be so interesting to see, particularly how these lower price consoles do during this holiday season. But it's definitely going to be a lot closer of a match now, knowing that Sony was able to get, especially the digital editions, price just so low. That was a really big surprise to me, and I think it's going to be make things really interesting as as we head into the full swing release of these consoles. So we will wait and see. Pre-orders for PlayStation go up tomorrow, uh, or today at the time this podcast is going live. And pre-orders for the Xbox Series S and X go live next week, next Tuesday on the 22nd. And we'll talk about that more at the end of the show. But, you know, this stuff's actually happening. We have dates. We have prices. We have pre-order information. We have everything. We don't have to speculate anymore. No more no more speculating. In fact, we might have to just shut the podcast down and end it for good because I feel like for as long as this podcast has been around, all we've been doing is speculating about these fucking next-gen consoles. And now that we have all the information, I just feel like my life is meaningless. Uh, so it's a bittersweet moment for us here on Xbox On. But... Next up, let's get into some of the games and things Sony talked about. Some of this is actually very relevant to the Xbox ecosystem. So we'll skim over the stuff that's not so important. But Final Fantasy 16 was the first massive piece of news, I think, here, which is that, one, the game was revealed because we didn't know about the 16th Final Fantasy until today. And two is that it's a console exclusive on PlayStation, which is like, yikes. So 
we know there's always been a Final Fantasy PlayStation kind of boner going on there. Obviously, Final Fantasy has its roots in the Nintendo ecosystem, but ever since really the PS1 days, it's been a PlayStation thing. And we've seen it kind of go friendly with Xbox. We saw, you know, 13 and 15 launch day and date on Xbox. Kingdom Hearts 3, which is basically just Final Fantasy, launch day and date on Xbox. But for the most part, Square Enix, especially with their little weeby RPG games, they really have a big old boner for Sony. And this is uh, this is crazy. I just I thought we were at the point where Square Enix wasn't looking at Sony that way, but I, I guess they still have that relationship. And Sony was willing to uh, pony up the money, no pun intended, to to get this game exclusive on PlayStation, which is just. An absolutely massive get, and there's a lot of reasons why. So just from the trailer they showed, I mean, it's more Final Fantasy, I don't care. But I think this is going to be a really important Final Fantasy because it looks like they're finally taking the modern graphics and gameplay styles and, and design sensibility of Final Fantasy and finally merging a modern Final Fantasy with the classic art style and kind of setting and aesthetic of Final Fantasy. So it's no longer about pretty boys in, in, in sports cars. It's no longer about lightning, finding, returning, and then going home or whatever those four-part Final Fantasy 3, 13 games are. It's no longer about the ocean Final Fantasy with the girl with the hair and the guy with the hair and, and the and the FMVs and all that shit. Like, it's back to, like, old-school, like, kind of medieval fantasy Final Fantasy, which is kind of cool because I think, especially, like, classic Final Fantasy fans, I think this is something a lot of those people were missing. And to see them kind of go back to that aesthetic and art design is, is perfectly, like well-timed and nostalgic for a time like now while also offering a very modern next-gen kind of Final Fantasy. So that's a big deal just from the Final Fantasy franchise perspective because we just haven't seen this in so long. And then pairing that with it only being on PlayStation, it's, it's also on PC, but it's not coming to Xbox. It's a console exclusive to PlayStation. That's just a massive get, dude. I mean, I know a lot of people want to be salty about this, but like, dude, PlayStation put out the money to get this thing exclusive on their console. This is the kind of stuff we need to see Xbox do because... Sony's kind of ruthless with this shit, you know? You see Xbox do it with, like, Tomb Raider back in 2015, and then they got shat on forever about it. And then you see Sony kind of do this shit with, like, Final Fantasy, and everyone's just like, yeah, I love it. You know, Final Fantasy VII was console exclusive this year, and we know it's coming to Xbox next year, but with this, we don't have any indication that's coming to Xbox. Now, personally, my, my thought is that this does come to Xbox. It might be two years after it comes out. It might be three years after it comes out. But I think eventually it will come to PlayStation. I'm sure this is one of those, like, it's going to be such a long-timed exclusive that by the time it finally comes to Xbox, it won't be relevant anymore. But I really do think at some point it's got to come to Xbox. But it's going to be exclusive to PlayStation for as long as it needs to be for the point where it just won't matter by the time we finally get on Xbox. If not, just permanently exclusive, which is a crazy fucking get for PlayStation. I think this makes this console incredibly alluring. It's a, it's a game that really appeals to the PlayStation audience. And I wonder if that's one of the things that makes it easier for Square Enix to do. I, I'd be curious to see how games like Final Fantasy or Kingdom Hearts sell on Xbox relative and proportionally to PlayStation, because obviously it sells best on PlayStation. PlayStation has a bigger market share. But like, I wonder what like the penetration rate is. Like, what percentage of Xbox gamers buy Final Fantasy 15 versus percentage of PlayStation gamers buying Final Fantasy 15? Because I think, again, that weeby ass Japanese Final Fantasy bullshit works a lot more and resonates a lot more, I think, with the PlayStation market than it does the Xbox market. And that goes back to the whole Xbox struggling in Japan, Xbox being more of like a Western kind of 
product and being seen more as like a console for like Western RPGs and shooters and stuff like that, which is traditionally Xbox's specialty. Whereas, you know, again, Final Fantasy, the weeby stuff, the things about the anime hair and getting strong and, and oppressing women and stuff like that's that's a PlayStation thing is, is, is the Japanese anime shit. So I think this is a really perfect pair for the PlayStation. It's a massive blow to Xbox, not even necessarily just from a sales potential standpoint, but from an optic standpoint to say to have a game like Final Fantasy that's just this massive this popular and be like oh yeah fuck you xbox you're not getting it whether or not you were gonna buy this game this is a big get because it just makes the playstation look like that much more of an alluring of an alluring platform when this game comes out it will undoubtedly be a big big game lots of media coverage great sales probably some really good reviews and all that shit lots of people will be talking about and playing it and it won't be on xbox which is going to be you know a big deal so this this is one of those like if you're gonna if you're gonna choose that really scummy like third party exclusive thing, this is the kind of game you go for, and I think it pairs beautifully with PlayStation. And it's a really fucking shitty situation for us Xbox gamers, but I get it. I get it. Now, in all fairness, there's a great chance that this game looks completely different or might come to Xbox eventually because it's a Final Fantasy game, so you got to keep in keep in check. They announced it today, uh, September 2020. September 2020. By typical Square Enix uh, Final Fantasy standards, that means the game will probably come out in like, I don't know, like February 2027 or something because that's just how Final Fantasy games are. They get delayed to all hell and, and, you know, you never, by the time you finally see it, it's a totally different game. So there's a good possibility that by the time this game comes out, we won't even remember what Final Fantasy is because COVID will just have killed so many of our kinds. But Nonetheless, what a fucking massive get for PlayStation and a massive blow for Xbox. Now, next they showed Spider-Man Miles Morales. They finally showed some gameplay of the game. And we won't get into that too much because obviously that's a very PlayStation thing. But there is a big twist to, to this game in particular, which is that, well, one, they announced that this is this is the start of how we know PlayStation games are going to be 70 bucks from now on. Because this and, and the Blood Souls or whatever it's called, all that shit's 70 bucks, which means Xbox games are probably also 70 bucks now. But on Xbox, it's less relevant because Game Pass. And on PlayStation, it's more relevant because you got to buy your games on game, on, on PlayStation. So that was the first big deal from Spider-Man. The second big deal and the reason why I'm excited is because they announced, hey, actually Spider-Man and some of our early launch games or, or, or games coming out in the first year of PlayStation, they're actually coming to PS4. And that was one of those like... I don't try to be an Xbox fanboy, but this is one of those moments where I'm just going to indulge because fuck everyone who was shitting on Xbox for the longest time being like... Oh man, Xbox is so stupid. They're saying all their first year games are going to be on Xbox One, which means they don't have any next gen games because they're all being held back because they have to be on Xbox One. That's so stupid. Halo Infinite's not next gen. Fuck Halo. Greg, 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 Greg memes, Greg memes. I'm so stupid. I don't have a big penis. All that shit. And then Sony comes out and they're just like, yeah, uh, Spider Man and the new Horizon game and all that shit. They're going to be on PS4 also. So all of our first. All of our PS5 exclusives for like the first year or so are all going to be on PS4 also. So to me, as a rational human being who doesn't care as much about that stuff, I'm just excited because I'm not buying a PS5 for at least one or two years. So I'm just excited that I get to play Spider-Man Miles Morales on my PS4 this holiday season. That's great news. At the end of the day, this is really good news. But from the optics of like people shitting on one another, that from that standpoint, this is such... You know, it's like this is such like malarkey bullshit that now people are going to like pat Sony on the back and be like, congrats for giving more gamers access to these amazing games. And then on Xbox being like, fuck you, Greg, 
or Craig or whatever the Halo meme is. And it's just like, come on, guys. We were shitting on Xbox so hard for this, and now PlayStation's doing it. And with PlayStation, it's actually a little more tone deaf because they were the ones who kind of responded to Xbox saying that they were going to put, you know, the first wave of next-gen games on the Xbox One saying, you know, games will be playable from Xbox One up through Xbox Series X for the next year and a half or so. You know, PlayStation was the one who responded to that statement by saying, we believe in next generation. We believe that, you know, our games, the games we work on and, and we make now should be built from the ground up for new hardware. So it's it's obviously a massive contradiction there. But obviously the real reason why they're able to do this is because one... When a new console comes out, obviously your bigger install base is on the previous console, not the new one. And two, games like Spider-Man Miles Morales and this new Horizon game, the Horizon Forbidden Wilds or whatever it's called. These are games that started as PS4 games and then got ported over to PS5 during their development cycle. So it's a little easier to make two skews of it. So again, I don't mean to be totally down on this. Like I'm actually really excited about this. This is, this is good news for me, especially because I was really down that I wasn't going to get a PS5 this year. So I wasn't going to get to play the new Spider-Man game, but now I will get to play it because I already have a PS4. So this is great news for me, but just also like one of those like total double standards. Sony gets special privilege kind of moments. I just want to call attention to that. Next, this is a third-party game, so this matters to to all of us here on the Xbox platform. Harry Potter Hogwarts Legacy was finally announced. This is the Avalanche software-developed WB Harry Potter game, RPG, the big AAA-looking Harry Potter game. So they did a long, uh, like, cinematic... Uh, trailer for this they talked a lot about like wizards and poking people with wands and drinking butterbeer and all that weird british shit they like to do in harry potter all that sexually repressed bullshit that harry and hermione are getting up to and and they're like oh yeah it takes place in the 1800s so it's hogwarts uh uh, like hogwarts like a hundred years before harry's alive and, and around kick in and which is which is kind of a cool concept. It's like okay, we'll see Hogwarts in this familiar setting uh, from like a much older period of time. And it's it's an RPG. It looks like it's going to be a big thing. The graphics look decent enough. It looks like a pretty game. This game just has me so conflicted because I've been so like laser focused on what this game was because it's being developed by a- Avalanche Software, and I'm just super obsessed with them because they're the Disney Infinity team. I miss Disney Infinity with all my heart. I wish they'd come back. I wish Disney'd buy them back. I wish they get married again and make a Disney Infinity 4.0 Xbox Series. X exclusive fuck all you Sony boys it's got Spider-Man only on the Xbox version and you get you, you can go build Epcot and run around Epcot within the Disney Infinity world and I would be such a happy boy and I'd go buy all the Disney Infinity figures again and I'd be crying tears of joy but we know that's not going to happen but for whatever reason it just it just leaves this really soft spot in my heart for Avalanche Software and it's kind of ironic because a lot of the team that worked on Disney Infinity actually left the studio in the years following the game's cancellation but That's not what this is about. This is about Harry Potter. This is about a team that made one of my favorite games of all time moving on to make a new game about one of my least favorite properties of all time, which is Harry Potter. We know know, Harry Potter. It's about these British kids that pick their nose. And also for this game, just kind of how unfortunate is it that that like this game that had so much hard work into it is now like getting its big reveal at like the worst timing possible. But nonetheless, it's not like J.K. Rowling is making this game. Avalanche Software is making it, and it looks, you know, I, I don't know. If I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of a Harry Potter fan, I guess this looks good. I don't know. Harry Potter fans are weird. Again, they like they like a, a movie and a book series about these British kids that call each other muggles for not having magical powers. I'm pretty sure it's just a commentary on like the N-word, so I'll, I'll never get over how weird that is. That that's what Harry Potter is, but you guys continue to just drink your butter beer and ride your uh, 
ride your fucking unicorns and, and shit. That's that's what you guys like. So the game will be out in 2021. That's all we really need to talk about. It's coming to Xbox, of course, but it was announced here on PlayStation stage, which is fine by me because I don't want those dirty. I don't want those dirty wizards being associated with my Xbox. Uh, speaking of dirty games and stupid games and annualized games, next game here is Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War. We got our campaign reveal. Now, as we all know, Call of Duty used to be an Xbox-associated third-party game, and ever since the PS4 days, it's been a PlayStation-associated third-party game. So Activision and Sony kind of having their little their little uh, intimate back-end relationship with Destiny and Call of Duty. As of late, we've got the gameplay reveal for Black Ops. I, I don't know what to say about this game. I don't mean to be down on... You, you guys know I try to be fair to Call of Duty. I try to give the game a try every now and again. I don't want to... I don't want to give too much credence to that, like, that, like, popular gamer dogma of, like, Call of Duty's dumb, Call of Duty's redundant, Call of Duty's tired and uninspired. It's like, Call of Duty's a fine game. It's a competent shooter. It's... There's a reason why it sells the way it does, but... Nonetheless, they showed Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War. It looks like every other Call of Duty ever. It looks a little, it looks a little darker and grittier. I will say that, which is a, uh, I guess, weird for Call of Duty because it's already kind of a dark, gritty game when you think about the campaigns. But this one looks especially like that, and I am excited as as um, as Raven will get to make a campaign for the first time in a very long time. So I'm excited to see their approach to this game. Still haven't decided if this is maybe a game I'll play. Maybe maybe it'll be a game I play just to kind of test out the specs on my series x i don't know i don't fucking know i can't spend too much money on games and then next we got resident evil village they showed a gameplay trailer for that which you can watch online obviously that game's also coming to xbox then they showed death loop which we won't get into because that's a playstation exclusive and i really don't give a shit about a game even though my brother's gonna give me shit for saying that and then they showed devil may cry 5 which is getting a special edition i assume this is coming to uh to xbox at some point but also this isn't a big deal to me it's just a special edition prettied up version of devil may cry 5 i i this is one of those like soft news things then they showed odd world uh soul storm uh they showed a gameplay trailer for it which we saw tease at the last sony press conference that will probably of course be coming to xbox so all these trailers you can go on youtube and watch for yourself then they then they announced five nights at freddy's security breach um now that will probably also be coming to uh, Xbox Series X or Xbox consoles as well, uh, although I wish it wouldn't because I don't care about Five Nights at Freddy's. And then they showed Demon Souls extended gameplay reveal. Now that is, of course, a PlayStation 5 exclusive. It will be a day and date day one release. It is a $70 game, leading cre lending credence to the whole Sony getting on board with the $70 games. And then they showed like a Fortnite demo uh, running an Unreal Engine 4 to show that Fortnite's coming to PS5. We know Epic and Sony got a little bit of a thing going on right now. This is, and then this is the last big one. So this is, uh, well, I mean, I guess the last big one is technically that the new God of War was teased. They didn't show anything. It was just a teaser. It's coming out next next year, supposedly, although I'm sure it'll get delayed. But but that's that's a PlayStation exclusive thing, so we won't get into that. The last big bit, bit of news here was the announcement of PlayStation Plus Collection. So... PlayStation Plus Collection, you know, if you look at, like, the IGNs and stuff, they're billing this as, like, Xbox is dead, dethrone Xbox, game over Xbox, PlayStation has their version of Game Pass now, we don't have to pretend that Xbox is relevant, fuck you, Xbox. So this is, this was, uh, I don't know how to feel about this, because I think this is the beginning of something that will become a great service, but for now, it's kind of underwhelming. So what this really is, is disguising PlayStation's awful fucking backwards compatibility uh, policy on the PlayStation 5, trying to, trying to justify how awful the backwards compatibility is and trying to market it like it's a Game Pass competitor. So 
let's stop speaking in vague terms. So PlayStation Plus Collection is a new service that will launch when PS5 launches this November. It will be included in your pre-existing PlayStation Plus subscription, so it won't bump your price. You won't have to subscribe to anything new. It's just going to be added to PlayStation Plus. So that's a great deal from that perspective. So here's what it is. It's like Game Pass, where you can just download a library of rotating games that are added in and out, and it's predominantly first-party content, but it's all PlayStation 4 games. So it's games like Uncharted 4, Last of Us Remastered, uh, Horizon, Spider-Man, all that kind of shit. I don't know that Spider-Man's actually really in it, but, you know, it's that kind of stuff. Bloodborne, all that crap. And then there's some third parties. I think we saw Battlefield 1 was in there. I think Fallout 4 is in there, stuff like that. So very much like the concept of Game Pass where here's a library of games that kind of rotates in and out and you you know your subscription nets you the ability to download these games onto your PlayStation and play them no additional cost it's just a big library of games for you to access whenever you feel like it so that's great in and of itself but here's the thing is no PlayStation 1 games no PlayStation 2 games no PlayStation 3 games and biggest of all no PlayStation 5 games so on 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 Xbox Game Pass sure it's more expensive than Xbox Live. It's not included in Xbox Live. In fact, it's five bucks more to get the two services bundled together. But with Game Pass, you're getting OG Xbox games, 360 games, Xbox One games, and now Xbox Series games. So you're going to get every Xbox game day and day. And you know this, obviously. You're an Xbox gamer if you're listening to the show. You know that the day at Halo Infinite comes out, you don't have to go spend 70 bucks on it. You know it's just going to be in Game Pass. You know you don't have to go buy Fable when it comes out in a few years. You can just played on game pass the moment it hits and so we know the value of game pass is well worth the extra five dollars to our xbox live subscription we know the value of game pass is immeasurable because it's just so much new shit all the time there's tons of third parties there's tons of previous generation content it's constantly changing constantly adding new stuff and everything that's first party is permanently in the collection and every time a new first party game comes out it's there day and date no extra cost that's the amazing value of Game Pass on top of the fact that you get cloud streaming on top of the fact that you get EA access on top of the fact that Phil Spencer comes to your house once a month and gives you flowers and a box of chocolates and says thank you for being a subscriber insert your name here Uh, on top of all those added benefits this doesn't hold a candle to what Game Pass does and I'm not trying to make this a fanboy like hey your thing sucks ours is better thing I'm trying to make this like a Sony is going to try and spin this as a look at us being competitive with Xbox. They have Game Pass and we have Collection, a PlayStation Plus Collection. But here's the benefit. PlayStation Plus Collection doesn't cost you anything extra. It's already included with your pre-existing PlayStation Plus membership and it gives you tons of free games, blah, blah, blah. But what what PlayStation Plus Collection really is is their way of saying we fucked up with backwards compatibility yet again. No PlayStation 1, 2, and 3 games, no Vita games, no PSP games, just PS4 games. And you don't get new stuff the day it comes out. You just get old games once they're old enough to be added to the service. And some third-party games, which will probably rotate in and out like they do on Game Pass. But this is the bigger the bigger drop, drop ball drop on, on top of all that is, you know, I have a stack of Xbox 360 discs, you know, in, in my in my entertainment center under in one of the drawers, right? I can whip out this, uh, this booklet of discs and look at all my old Xbox 360 games. I got all the Halos. I got the Call of Duties. I got the Guitar Heroes and the Left 4 Deads and all that bullshit that I used to play religiously back in 2008, right? And I can just whip out one of those discs, pop it in my Xbox One, my Xbox Series X, my Xbox One X, my Xbox Series S, my Xbox whatever the fuck. I just plug that disc in and boom, I got that that backwards compatibility. There are games I downloaded on my Xbox 360 back in the day, games like Castle Crashers and all that bullshit where I can just be like, hmm, 
I wish I could play this on my Xbox One. Oh, wait, I can because all the shit I bought in the 360 era uh, digitally is just on my Xbox One. That's the beauty of Xbox backwards compatibility. This is Sony saying, we fucked up with backwards compatibility. You can't play old games. You can just play PS4 and PS5 games. And the PS4 games are doled out slowly when we put them on this service and we pretend, we, we dress it up in makeup and paint and, and dress, whatever. We doll it up and try to push it as like an Xbox Game Pass competitor when really it's just a really shitty backwards compatibility system. And that's what that's what we're really looking at here. Now, again, this is all tentatively. We know very little about the service. I'm sure it will change and evolve and we'll learn more soon. And again, I'm sure in a few years, this might become a thing where, hey, they're adding PS3 games. Hey, they're adding PS2 games. Hey, they're adding PS5 games now that they're old enough. But until they say, yeah, the, the, the new God of War, the day it comes out, it will just be included in PlayStation Plus collection. You know, the day they, the day they say that is when I'm like, oh shit, that's a good deal. You know, and, and sure, of course, you got to bump the price at some point. Yeah, if, if you say PlayStation Plus now costs $15 a month and you get all the first party games the day they come out on PlayStation Plus, I get that. That's cool. Match what Game Pass does. But don't try to push this as a Game Pass competitor and be like, oh, yeah, we're doing you a big favor, PlayStation gamers. It's like, no, you're giving us a gimped version of backwards compatibility and trying to pass it off as something better than it is. And I just want the reason why I'm being so like, mean about this or, or however you want to put it is because I just know already from like the, the early tweets and, and articles I've already seen in just this past hour since it's been announced I've already seen people try to praise this as being PlayStation so I think IGN literally called it like uh, PlayStation finally has a salute uh, like a response to Xbox Game Pass I'm like no it doesn't PlayStation 5 ha- finally has a response to shitty backwards compatibility that's what they have like I, I just like what do what are you what are you talking about? Remember, PlayStation said a few months ago, "Hey, we're gonna have thousands of PS4 games backwards compatible on the PS5." And today was their last chance to be like, "Here's the price, here's the release date, here's all the details on the console." They didn't say shit about that, so I assume this is what they were talking about. Again, this is this is PlayStation saying we dropped the ball on on our backwards compatibility plan, and now we're gonna try to. We're going to try to divert the attention by making it seem like we're doing you a big favor by throwing in this new service along with your already month-to-month price of PS Plus. So I, j- I just want to point that out. Before you see any new articles or PlayStation-centric Twitter people or games industry people who start saying how awesome this service is because it's better than Game Pass, again, I, I feel like I'm becoming a little more bitter towards PlayStation the more I do this show. I think this... I think this, 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 this podcast is starting to become a little toxic. I think I'm starting to become a little bit a little bit more of like a bitter fanboy. So maybe that's a good thing. Maybe we should all start like, I don't know, like getting matching tattoos or some shit and maybe start like a chant or a song that we all do together at the start of each episode. I, I don't know. Maybe maybe we should lean into this and just become the, the most bitter asshole Xbox fans out there. Or maybe I just need to take a step back and say, hey, you know what? PlayStation, I see you doing your thing. Have a great day. I'm going to go enjoy Halo Infinite when it comes out in 2000 never. But yeah, I think I think that was absolutely other than of course the price and release date. I think that was obviously the biggest thing they announced. You know, God of War Ragnarok. I, although I'm excited for that, that was an inevitable game they were working on and you know, f- additional looks at some things like Spider-Man and crap. That's all exciting and good and well, but that PlayStation Plus collection is a massive piece of news. Um, so definitely had to bring that to light. Let me know what you think about that, guys. Uh, I, you know, when these things are announced so so early like this, it's very possible that by the time I'm done recording today, 
uh, PlayStation will have clarified some things and stories will have changed to the point where maybe all this information sounds very dated by the time you're hearing it. But at least for right now, I think PlayStation Plus collection sounds more of like an excuse and less like an added benefit. But that's just me. You you let me know what you think. And with that said, we're done with all the PlayStation shit, all the PlayStation event stuff. Now we'll get into our regular news week full of, of busy Xbox news. But, but first, I think we should maybe reward ourselves with a couple of little comments. Now, uh, in advance, apologies to all of you who left some really awesome comments this week. I don't have time to get to you all. Like I said, this is just, we're already an hour into the show and I haven't even gotten to the comments section. This is just a crazy news week. Especially apologies to my brother who who wrote a really lengthy response to Tanali Maya and then Tanali came back with a response to him and I would love to get into that banter and read that out loud on the show but again we just don't have time so if you're interested in seeing some of these great comments guys head over to YouTube Second Best Gaming is my YouTube channel the uh, podcast is of course called Xbox On you probably know that if you're listening to this but um, you can see the podcast feed on YouTube that's where we pull our comments for the show and if you haven't left a comment before what are you waiting for what are you waiting for just Go ahead, leave a comment, go onto iTunes, go buy an iPhone if you don't have one, just just get onto iTunes and leave me a five-star review talking about how you really appreciate me pointing out the muggle thing in Harry Potter and how you like that I shit on PlayStation and then try to say that I'm an impartial fan of gaming. Um, but yeah, so just a, a couple of comments, just to put a couple of you out there. Uh, Ryan Weil, who comments for the first time, I got to put you in there. You say, first time commenter recently discovered your podcast. I was a PlayStation guy my whole life going back to the PS1. A couple of years ago, I got a deal through my work for a new Xbox One. I'm a huge racing guy, so the chance to play Forza was too good to pass up. This was the best move I ever made. I traded my PlayStation when I got the Switch, and I haven't looked back. I recently started playing Halo for the first time. God, I'm envious of that. Uh, and my life has and my life has been changed. I just finished Reach. I just finished Reach, and I can't wait to see what three, where three four three goes with the franchise. Uh, here, here's hoping you're one of the few like me who actually appreciates it. Uh, and without question, I will be getting a Series X this year. Thanks for the awesome podcast. Well, Ryan, thank you so much. Um, for commenting, I appreciate your kind words and also a really cool story to see how you were you were you once were lost, but now you see and and you were converted to the correct side of the gaming ecosystem. I'm glad to have you here on Team Xbox. Remember, if you ever exhibit signs of being a pony or a Sony fanboy, we will not only kick you from this community, but we will tie you upside down and beat you senselessly and, and probably drag you through the streets tied to the tied to a horse. It's we're, we're brutal over here. We're really serious. We Like I said, we got matching tattoos, so we're real fucked up over here on Team Green. But nonetheless, welcome to welcome to our side. That's a cool story because I, I kind of relate to it in, in a sense because, you know, my upbringing was, I, you know, I was brought up on Game Boy Color, Nintendo emulators, Sega Genesis emulators, and the PlayStation 1. Like, those were the, the, those were the things I played the most as a, as a child growing up with video games. And I turned out an Xbox guy too, which I think is a testament to how superior Xbox is that, you know, even through the nostalgia and the upbringing and the association with the PlayStation and the Nintendo and all that stuff, we can still come out with a, with clear, with a clear mind knowing that Xbox is where we truly belong. But all joking aside, I, I, I relate to that a little bit because it, it kind of makes a brand a little more special when, when you find yourself assimilating with and, in and kind of feeling at home with a brand that wasn't something you grew up with because for something to honestly beat out your nostalgia and your, and your, 
in your habits of, you know, being in a certain place and, and, and gaming, gaming on a specific platform, I think really does speak volumes to the quality and, and the allure of that platform. And yeah, I mean, if you're, if you're a racing fan, how could you say no to Forza? Like no disrespect to, um, no disrespect to Gran Turismo. Obviously it's such an important, uh, and notable racing series, but I think Forza has long since surpassed Gran Turismo, especially, you know, since like the Forza 3, 4 era. So it's just, it's hard to say no to Forza. And then also just with you playing Halo for the first time, super envious of that. Halo is just a, as you know, if you've listened to this show, just such a special franchise. I wish, I wish I could wipe my memory of all of those games and just play them for the first time again. So I, I hope you really enjoy the 343 Halo games. Just uh, statistically, it seems like you're probably not going to, because it seems like apparently every Xbox gamer in the world just hates 343. But uh, if you if you don't mind, please comment back in after you've played Halos 4 and 5. Let me know what you thought about them. I'd, I'd be curious to see if you liked them, if you liked them less than the Bungie Halos, if you liked them as much, if you liked them more. I don't know. Just be just be interested to see, you know, what a fresh pair of eyes, a fresh perspective on that that franchise would, would think about those games now, kind of going into them in a time where none of them are particularly new. But yeah, thanks, thanks for commenting. Our next comment here is from Viking of the North who says, Jesse, do you like pho? And Viking of the North, uh, I don't know how to put this, but yes, I, I love pho very much. Um, yes. I think pho is probably like the most popular default like Vietnamese dish out there, but it's just, it's so lovable. Yeah, when I lived in Georgia, we had access to a lot more Vietnamese restaurants and, and we, my girlfriend and I would go out for pho pretty often. And now that I live here in central Florida, while we do have, you know, in, in downtown Orlando, there is like this like strip that's like a, like a little like Asian community where it has like a, a couple predominantly Vietnamese where it has like a couple of Vietnamese restaurants and nail salons and, and a little grocery store, but it also has like some Korean spots as well and things like that. And, uh, we went there the other week and we got some bubble tea and some, some banh mi, which is another great, which is a Vietnamese which is a popular Vietnamese thing that I actually don't usually like because I don't like the, the, the pickled bean sprouts and all that shit or, or whatever it is, the radishes on my sandwiches. But, uh, but pho, yeah, I'll, I'll go for pho any day. You, you throw some hoisin sauce, you throw some sriracha, you get all spicy. I, I like when you put those, uh, those meatball cubes in your pho. Oh, it's so, so good. I love pho. It's, it's very, very good. You squeeze a bunch of lime juice in there. You put the, you put the, what is it? Like the, it's like basil or mint leaf. I think it's mint leaf or something. I don't fucking know. I don't put that in there because I'm not, I'm not a, I'm not a grown up yet. I still eat my food like a child, but I love pho very much. I haven't had it in a while, which makes me very sad. But my girlfriend and I have actually been talking about trying to find some more pho restaurants as well as ramen bars around here so that we can kind of get our Asian food fix that we've been deprived of since we moved to Orlando, Florida, the home of the American chain restaurant. Cause it seems like pretty much all you have here are just like American chain restaurants, but that's okay. I like that. I like that stuff too. Lethal Migraine says, Vietnamese food is amazing with two fire emojis. Uh, yes, I'll agree with you on that. Lethal Migraine, I think we were just speaking to that. And you say, no soda tops an A&W from the fountain at an A&W restaurant. And to which I said, you know, while I think that's a respectable thing to say, A&W root beer is great from an A&W restaurant. I'm sure it's great. I had a root beer float the other week when I went to A&W. It was very nice. But with all due respect, Mountain Dew Whiteout is the greatest soda of all time, and if you disagree with me, I will I will buy a PlayStation, ship it to your house, you will open the box and say, he got, he got me a PlayStation, and then you'll plug it in, and on the screen you will see a picture that just has a date, and that is the date that you will die. You better, you better 
uh, adopt Mountain Dew Whiteout as the greatest soda flavor of all time, or I will have to end your pathetic existence. And that's just that's that's not a threat. I'm not trying to be aggressive. That's just that's just some simple suggest suggesting there that maybe maybe you consider trying Mountain Dew Whiteout. Now I, I must say Mountain Dew Whiteout, my favorite Mountain Dew flavor of all time, my favorite soda of all time. Very hard, very crestfallen to learn that. It's been discontinued in most parts of the U.S. The only places where you can still find it is in, like, really rural American area, like, rural America. So, like, if you live in, I don't know, fucking, like, Idaho or some shit, maybe you can go to your local convenience store and find a Mountain Dew Whiteout. But here in Central Florida, we don't have it anymore. And Central Florida is really letting me down because I remember as a child, there's a Mountain Dew flavor, which, again, you can find it in a lot of, like, more rural parts of, of the U.S. I found it when I went to Kentucky a few years ago. But there's this... um. There's this Mountain Dew flavor called Livewire, which is like an orange-flavored Mountain Dew. It's very good. I don't normally like orange soda, but this is the one exception. Very good soda. And I always remember from my childhood, whenever we go to Florida, I knew that you could stop in a gas station and find the orange Mountain Dew. It was everywhere. And I'd always get it. I remember every trip home from Disney when I didn't live here, whenever I'd drive back to Atlanta from from Orlando, I'd always stock up on the orange Mountain Dew and bring it with me back home and kind of ration it out until my next trip to Florida. And then right when I fucking moved here to Florida, they were just like, hey, uh, not only are we discontinuing your favorite Mountain Dew flavor, Mountain Dew Whiteout, but we're also just kind of arbitrarily getting rid of Livewire. And they never announced that. It just kind of went away. Because I remember, like, it was within, it was literally within 30 days of me moving to Florida. I just noticed all the 7-Elevens and the BPs and the Speedways around me just slowly stopped carrying the orange flavor Mountain Dew. So I'm like, not only did you discontinue my favorite flavor, but like the distinctively Florida flavor that I always remembered getting from my entire childhood visiting this godforsaken state is now just being removed from my life. And I just have, and I've just been, I've just been relegated to the the standard Mountain Dew flavors. Now you go to a mountain, now you go to a convenience store or Walmart here in Florida or in central Florida, at least. And you just see like regular Mountain Dew, diet Mountain Dew, sometimes code red, Voltage seems to be a really popular one. I'm surprised how well Voltage has stuck around. I like Voltage a lot, don't get me wrong, but I'm surprised that that one's remained a mainstay, and I'm glad it has, but, man, like, god damn it, dude. Florida's supposed to be the the place where you get the Orange Mountain, dude. It's the Orange State. We grow oranges here. That's why we're fucking Florida. God damn it. That's, I mean, like, uh, it drives me nuts, but, guys, I just have to let you know. Mountain Dew Whiteout, if you ever have the chance to try it, it's a must-try. It's a wonderful soda. And you're just wrong. You're just wrong, Lethal Migraine. A&W Root Beer is great. Mountain Dew Whiteout is better. Uh, and David White res- responds and says, Pib Extra just for kicks or just for, I don't know, JFC. I don't, I've never heard of that. But uh, he says Pib Extra. Just uh, So just go ahead and be sure to cancel David White. Find his place of work. Harass him. Try and blame him of things he hasn't done or, or only maybe has done allegedly and, and ruin his life because... Pip Extra has no place on this podcast. We're a very tolerant podcast. Listen, I don't care who you are. I don't care what your name is, where you're from. I don't care about the color of your skin, the the, the gender you identify with. I don't care about your sexual orientation. I don't care what language you speak, what religion you practice. I'm a very open-minded person. I think, you know, we should decriminalize drugs. We should decriminalize and legalize prostitution. I think we need to let people be who they are, express themselves, make the decisions they make, and be there to help people you know, explore themselves and heal and, and, and try to better themselves. I think that's the kind of world we need to build. But in that world that I'm imagining, that I'm envisioning, Pib Extra doesn't exist. 
So you take that pip extra and you get the fuck out of this podcast, okay? I I don't want to see you again. Just get the fuck out of here. I'll just do like one more maybe just because, again, I just uh, we just don't have time. So apologies to everyone here who who left some really awesome comments. I did read through them all and maybe I'll just respond to them on YouTube individually just to just to kind of just to kind of not have to cut everyone out here. But uh, just to do one more, let's just arbitrarily fix, fix one. OK, here, here, we'll pick this one. Strictly Gaming. This is LJ Plays, who, who's been commenting a little bit recently. Uh, changed his name to Strictly Gaming. So you say, thanks for answering my questions in the past few weeks, and I agree. Ratchet & Clank is one of the best PlayStation games. My question this week is, what do you think about Project xCloud? As when was announced uh, and there was a beta, everyone was so excited, and it was something new. But honestly, apart from it being released to everyone on Android, I haven't personally, personally had heard much talk about it i think it's a brilliant idea love being able to play xbox on the go keep up the awesome podcast each week now now this is a first of all i think the reason why lj plays had to change their name to strictly gaming is because uh he complied and gave me a social security number as i've been asking for recently on the show and there may have been some identity compromising involved in all that so new identity new name same person lj plays strictly gaming I don't care. Welcome back to the show. Now, this is a great question, and the reason why I, I, I want to go with this one is because, obviously, this past week, uh, xCloud is now officially out on Android. It's not in the beta form. It's not on that separate Xbox streaming app anymore. Now it is in the Xbox Game Pass app. And so I, I, I was trying it out the other day on my new Surface Duo here, which I'm very much in love with, and I, I was playing some xCloud. I was like, now it's in its final form. I want to test it on my new phone. Let's see, let's see what's going on. And... Um, I gotta be honest, I still have the same issue with Game Pass now that I had when I first tried it a year ago, which is that the time between connecting a controller to your phone and getting into a game and like getting it loaded up and everything, it's just so much time and so much setup that it's almost like, it's like the mobile equivalent of VR. It's like, you know, VR is a really cool gaming technology that's just kind of a bitch because setting up a VR unit and getting into a VR game is so much more hassle than just like sitting down on the couch and picking a game and just getting in, jumping in and playing, right? And that's that's kind of how I feel. I feel like there's this inherent confliction with game with Xbox um, Cloud Gaming now, as they call it. It's not Project X Cloud, it's Xbox Cloud Gaming now. But I feel like there's this kind of inherent like like confliction here, where where it's like mobile platforms are all about like peak, open it up, jump in, short burst experiences. You know, like you glance at your phone, you see a text, you reply real quick. You pop into Twitter, you scroll, you like, you you pull out, you click on YouTube, you watch the two-minute video, you get out, you share something, you you know, you take a two-second phone call. That's the mobile experience. Games on mobile are very much like you hold it vertically so you don't have to turn your phone sideways. You jump in, you, you do one turn, you jump out, you watch an ad, whatever. Everything about the experience of a smartphone, the modern experience of a smartphone is very much a get-in, get-out, short bursts of, stimula- of stimulation. And I feel like xCloud or Xbox game streaming is so contradictory to that. And it has so much to do with this setup. Like, having to, like, yeah, it's cool to have Xbox in your pocket. But it's not cool to have to carry around an Xbox controller and a clip to clip your controller to your phone. And then wait as you boot up the app and set your orientation and make sure the Bluetooth is enabled so your Xbox controller is connected to your phone. And then jump, like, select a game and wait for, like, a minute while it loads into the streaming setup and everything. It's... It's a very cumbersome and long process 
which just doesn't translate well to mobile phones. And I just, I just, I'm just trying to be really honest about this because I've, I've been using xCloud ever since it started its beta around this time last year. So I feel like I have enough experience to kind of speak on it with a little more authority than maybe most, but it, it's, it's just one of those things where it's like, until they can really find elegant solutions to these problems, I don't see how Project xCloud is a really viable option for most people. And what I mean by that is, if you're someone who loves to play your Xbox at home, I don't think Xbox Cloud Gaming immediately translates now to this like, oh, well, I love playing X, you know, Forza and Halo on my couch. Surely I'm going to love bringing a controller to my workplace so I can play Forza and Halo on my breaks via my Android phone. Like, I don't think the two things are mutually exclusive because it's just... It's just very cumbersome. Uh, in fact, I still I still say that like a Nintendo Switch is still a more like carrying around a Nintendo Switch along with your other shit is still more of an easy getting it out process. And that's one of the things the Switch does so well is that it very much behaves like a smartphone or like a tablet where it's like you press the power button, it's in sleep mode, you just jump back into the game you're in, it's quick and easy. Uh, whereas xCloud is just such a obtuse system to set up and get into. And while I hope these are things that are addressed o- over time, and while I assume we'll get better over time, it's just not a very easy jump in, jump out experience, which is exactly what you need it to be if it's going to be something you do and associate with your mobile phone. So th- that's kind of the inherent issue with xCloud. And so the service is really cool. I'll, I'll say this. Like last night, I was playing some Halo 4 multiplayer on my new Surface Duo, holding an Xbox controller in my hand. It was awesome. And and there's I never quite get over that fact of like, how cool is it that I'm just streaming Halo 4 to my Android phone? I'm holding an Xbox controller. It feels great. It plays great. The latency is super low. The lag is almost non-existent. The, the streaming on even my super average internet is so impressive. But still, there's like that part of me that's just like... When this is done, you know, after this match, I'm going to get off. Uh, maybe I'll go to my my couch and play on the TV. But I just, I, you know, it's it's more of like a, like, to me, it still, sh- it still feels like for me and my gaming preferences as like kind of a nice demo, like a tech demo, but not a feasible way for me to start playing my games. And I think, you know, maybe that will change. Maybe I'll get to a point where, it's, I don't know, maybe there'll be a day where my girlfriend's like hogging the TV, watching like every Barbie directed DVD movie ever made or some shit. I don't know what she does on the TV. And then I'll be like, oh, fuck it. I'll just hang out in the bedroom and play Halo Infinite Greg Edition on my on my Surface Duo with an Xbox controller. I don't know. Maybe that will be the case one day. But just, I really haven't had that moment yet. The closest I ever had was when I played Shadow of the Tomb Raider. I tried to predominantly play it on my on my Razer phone using an Xbox controller at the time, mostly just to test out the service. And it was, it was nice. But then towards the end of the game, I switched to my TV and I was like, Oh yeah, this is much better. And I I don't know. It's just a, it's just a weird thing. So you think about like this, well, obviously this is better for markets and for people who are more on the go. Like if I were still taking the train to work every day, like I used to do back when I lived in Atlanta to go to work and school, like, yeah, maybe this would be a little more feasible. Cause I'm already carrying around a bag that I took to work in school every day. So carrying the controller and the controller clip isn't an extra hassle. Okay, that's fair. And then, you know, I'm on the train for 30 minutes to an hour, depending on, you know, what commute I'm on. So yeah, I could sit down and play Xbox, but I lose service constantly on the train. So that doesn't really work with xCloud because you have to be constantly streaming and have good internet. Okay, well, the Nintendo Switch was great. I used to play the Switch all the time when I commuted by train because I could just pull it out of my bag, jump in. I was always offline playing something single player. It was great. 
And I mean, I don't use the switch for shit now that I don't use public transit to get around, but it was such a great device at the time for me. And I just don't think xCloud or Xbox game streaming could have been the same thing had it been available in that time period. So I don't say it's good for that user either. Um, but it could be the kind of thing where it's like, I don't know, you're on an airplane, you got service, or you're in an airport waiting for a flight, or, you know, I think the airplane airport situation is probably the best use case for it. Or maybe like you're at work and you have like an hour break. So you just sit in the break room and play on your phone with Xbox. I'm like, these are good use cases for it. But again, at the end of the day, I feel like at least for like my concept of like the average human and like what my daily schedule is and day to day life, I just don't see how this is really all that viable because it's such a cumbersome, like obtuse thing to jump in and out of. But then you think about places like Japan where, you know, this is, this is a service more geared towards like the Asian market, which is a little more mobile focused. I don't know. I'm sure they probably have Wi-Fi on their trains because they're better at everything than we are. So maybe in Japan, if you're playing xCloud, you can you can do your hour-long train commute by jumping on and having great internet from start to finish and playing xCloud. It's a great experience. I don't know. But for me living here, it's it hasn't been. So it's, it's a really weird service. I think if they could somehow find a way to just make it so snappy and fast to get in and get out, that'd go a long way. But then there's still the problem of the controller, which I just don't know how you solve that problem. And now we know that Xbox is starting to add touch controls to some games. They already have it to Minecraft, uh, which I think is in the news this week. Um, they, or they added it to Minecraft Dungeons, rather. But even then, it's like, well, then you're compromising the quality of the game because you're using touch control. So it's like, where, what is the solution? And I know the approach has kind of been like, let's have multiple solutions to appeal to everyone. But I don't think any one solution is especially, you know, elegant. Whereas, you know, again, when you think of just like sitting on the couch, console gaming, such an easy, elegant, usable setup. So I, I just, I feel like xCloud is such a great idea. It's such a great service. It's such a great added value to Game Pass, and I love it. It's, again, every time I use it, I'm like, this is a really cool tech demonstration. But I just can't find a way to implement it in my gaming regiment, and I just can't imagine how this is going to uh, change things for a lot of already, X, you know, Xbox gamers. I think this is, I think this is a service that's more about, you know, kids with phones because a lot of little kids spend a lot of time on like their iPads and their phones. I think this is more about like people in territories like like India and China and in in Korea and stuff where people are playing more on mobile devices. And I think it's more about that and less about like getting the average like American gamer who plays on his couch after work on Mondays through Fridays to you know to start playing on his phone instead. I don't I don't really know. I think I don't I don't even know if Xbox really has a specific intended market. I think it's more of like a catch-all market and they'll see kind of how it pans out, but yeah, it's it's a really great piece of technology. It works way better than it has any right to. It's a great value having it included in Game Pass Ultimate. I just don't have a way of making it work for me particularly. And I'd like to know from you guys, especially now it's available to everyone. You guys are probably using it. I'm sure some of you were already using it in the beta form. So let me know what you think about cloud gaming. But uh, I just, I, I don't know. It's a great service, great piece of technology, super impressive. It just, uh, for me personally, I can't find a way to really make great use of it. But that's not necessarily a bad thing. Obviously, not everything's for everyone. And this is just uh, one example. I don't, I don't have a lifestyle that really fits with this. But that's it for our comments, guys. We'll jump back into the news. We, we got to get through all this shit. So... We'll, we'll jump into it, but of course, before we can talk about that, you know, we got a big news week. I'm going to leave most of you out in the dust by not reading your comments, but one thing I, I absolutely cannot cut from the show is what I've been eating, and guys, I'm really ashamed to tell you that this week, but I'm not a vegetarian, 
But my girlfriend and I have made the decision to try and cut back the amount of meat we consume by, you know, mixing in some more vegetarian meals throughout the week and, and reducing the amount of meat we use in our cooking. Just just try to be a little more mindful of it. One, for health reasons, but two, and probably more importantly, just for cost reasons. You know, the grocery bill could be cut down a lot if you just bought less meat. So we're trying it. We're trying to see if it's a little healthier, if you feel a little better, save a little money on groceries. And uh, it hasn't been as hard as I thought it would be, but I'm sure it will get there eventually. We made these like, I made this like chicken or sorry, I made this like caprese uh, sandwich. I said chicken thinking, you know, chicken would be great with it, but there wasn't any chicken. So it's like heirloom tomatoes, mozzarella cheese, some basil, some uh, sun-dried tomatoes, and, you know, sourdough bread, bread grilled, uh, throw some spinach in there. And it was like, honestly, it was amazing, actually. It was like, I, I was expecting it to be like decent, but kind of unsatisfying. And it was actually like incredible. It was so damn good. So that was, that was a good experience, but... Kind of the struggle this past week has been trying to find vegetarian dishes that kind of seem interesting. Uh, just because it's really hard to find good vegetarian dishes because so many people approach like the vegetarian diet and also the vegan diet with like how can we try to imitate what meat eaters consume? You know, like how do we how do we approach an omnivore diet and try to adapt that to a vegetarian or adapt that to a vegan? And I really hate that approach because it's like such an insult to the vegetarian or the vegan diet where where it's like, listen, you can, vegetarians aren't extremely limited because they don't have meat. They just have to think differently about how they mix their flavors and what kinds of dishes are possible with the ingredients they have. But so often it becomes about like, how do we make meatless cheeseburgers? How do we make meatless chicken tofu shit? Or how do we make meatless meatballs or some shit? It always becomes some gimped like adaptation of, of a meat dish. And I really hate that. So it's, it's, it's been hard finding vegetarian dishes that are like, here's a good dish because the flavor profile is good and all these ingredients work well together to make a really compelling meal. And it just so happens to not incorporate meat. Like looking for that is challenging because again, it's like you, you, you like go to Bing and you're just like, uh, yummy vegetarian recipes, enter, go. And, and then everything's just like, this amazing meatless meat burger is so meaty, you won't even know it's vegetarian. I'm like, God damn it, BuzzFeed. Just give me a fucking, give me a goddamn real recipe. So that's been the challenge. But in terms of the meals, I think we've, we've done okay so far. We did a veggie pasta the other day that was pretty solid. Uh, and uh, the, the sandwiches were badass. They were dank, if I may say so. And, uh, but yeah, that's it. Now, as far as what I've been playing, uh, I'm still just on Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. I've just been a little distracted. The new Surface Duo is out. So I've not been playing games as much as I've been just dicking around on this new phone, enjoying the hell out of it. But Tony Hawk's Pro Skater, I did go through that for a couple more hours. I pretty much, I finished a lot of the first game. Now I'm kind of jumping into the second game. Gotta, gotta be honest, I, I don't remember being this bad at Tony Hawk. I was telling my, my friend Hunter the other day, I was texting him. I was like, hey girl, what you doing tonight? And then we got on the topic of Tony Hawk's Pro Skater, and he says, uh, I, I bet you I could beat you at a game of hopscotch. And then I sent him a picture of me uh, wiping out and eating shit as Tony Hawk. And just, I just don't remember being this bad at the game. Like, I'm not awful, but like... Back in the day, I used to fucking shred on Tony Hawk's American Wasteland. Like, I would play Tony Hawk's American Wasteland once a year. That was, like, an annual thing for me for about seven or eight years. I'm not even kidding. It was a thing where, like, every December around Christmas time, I would replay Tony Hawk's American Wasteland because the year it came out in 2005, I got it around Christmas time. 
And so I just always remember it with like the Christmas break of what was that fourth or fifth grade or something. And just ever since then, I've played it every Christmas break since until about two years ago when I stopped for whatever reason. But I just remember being so damn good at Tony Hawk's, you know, American Wasteland. And and don't get me wrong. I grew up playing Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1. I never played 2 and 3 for whatever reason. I played 4 and then I played all the thug games and American Wasteland, all that. And I, I grew up on Tony Hawk is what I'm saying. And, uh, I just, I just remember being very good at these games, but what this, uh, what this remake is reminding me is I'm actually pretty average. Like I'm average at best at this game. Hunter was telling me that he got a 600,000 point combo. So I don't even know. I don't even know how it's possible. I think I got like 150,000 point combo and I like shit my pants. I thought, I thought it was God or something, but Apparently, I'm nothing. But yeah, that's what a great game. Honestly, another thing that Tony Hawk's been reminding me of is, oddly enough, I think Tony Hawk, the Tony Hawk games occupy the exact same space in my in my brain. They scratch the exact same itch, pretty much, for me that the Guitar Hero games do. And I never noticed that until I played this. But it's kind of the same thing where it's like, it's all about the music. It's very rhythmic. It's very, like, uh, arcadey and fun and just, so, like, it's just all about these really good rhythmic mechanics and I never realized how similar Tony Hawk games and Guitar Hero games were in that respect which is funny because they're both Activision games but that's kind of what I'm what I'm realizing here is that I play Tony Hawk games the exact same way I play Guitar Hero another similarity between Tony Hawk and, and Guitar Hero for me is that I, I was never a good skater. You know, when I was a little kid, I went through a phase like like most boys where I, like I bought a skateboard. I thought I was going to skate, maybe learned how to do like a, the most half-assed ollie you've ever seen in your life. But I never really became a skater. Like me and some of my friends used to quote unquote skate a little bit. My older brother was actually pretty decent at skating. So that was kind of like a cool, inspiring thing for me as a, as a young child. But I was never a real skater. But when, when I picked up the controller in Tony Hawk, you best believe I was a goddamn legend. I was I was so cool. I was so badass. The young the young girls of the time were were looking my way because I was just pulling off these fucking 360 nada no spins whatever manual to pop shove it whatever you call it. I was just doing it all and people thought I was so cool. And then Guitar Hero is kind of the same thing where it's like I'm not a musician like I have a guitar in the corner. I can like play a I can play like Wonderwall, you know. I'm not a guitarist by any stretch of the imagination. I'm not a musician. I'm not musically inclined, but I love music. And when I play Guitar Hero, all of a sudden I'm right there on stage and people are rocking out and they think I'm the shit. And they're just like, oh yeah, he's playing that, he's playing that, that block party song, Helicopter. And he, he wrote this. He's probably really good at this. And, you know, it's just one of those games. It's like, it actually, it's one of the rare examples where a game actually makes you kind of feel cool when you know you're not really. So maybe that's why I like Tony Hawk and Guitar Hero. It kind of makes me feel like, like I didn't just waste my youth playing video games and eating Taco Bell. It makes me feel like I, I spent my youth like rocking out at, at shows and skateboarding and eating Taco Bell. So what could have been, I guess, is what I'm trying to get at. But that's going to do it for all the non-sensory. Again, to all of you who commented, I didn't read your comment. Sorry that I skipped you so I could tell you about how I feel about Guitar Hero. But here here we are. Now, with, again, like I said, this, this week's episode is kind of just a fucking mess. So we're just going to little unconventional way go through the stories and kind of do things a little differently so there's this story going around earlier this week and this was just obviously not going to happen we but we have to talk about it nonetheless because i think there is something going on behind the scenes in regards to this story and it's that uh bungie bungie and microsoft were reportedly in talks for microsoft to possibly acquire bungie again which is just it was one of those things like the rumors started coming out i was like holy shit please 
But yeah, so apparently this was a, a, a potentially um, negotiated thing, and, and I think Eurogamer was reporting on it, and Games Beat, uh, Games Beat podcast reported on it, and uh, basically some sources from from uh, Bungie were, were saying that basically they had heard talks, but apparently Bungie was saying like the or Microsoft was saying Bungie's asking for way too high a price for for. Uh, for the acquisition and Microsoft just wasn't in on it. So the talks kind of fell through and, and nothing really ended up happening. But then Eurogamer kind of re- report on it and their sources say that, you know, so that Bungie was kind of like really all in on this possibility because they wanted to raise new funds for a new studio to work on other projects on non destiny related and things like that, as well as more funding for destiny. Um, but, but ultimately they, they were just asking for too much and Microsoft was like, no way, man. So that was kind of the general gist of the rumor. Of course, as you know, this, as the story goes in Xbox history during the development of halo combat evolved or towards the end of the development, uh, Microsoft acquired Bungie, moved them from Chicago all the way over to Washington, where, uh, where, where, around where, in Seattle area, around where uh, Microsoft is, and kind of stuck them there. And we're like, hey, you're the Halo guys now. And, and and around the time of Halo Three and so on, in particular, things started getting a little heated. The, the the Microsoft, the Xbox team from back in the day, was a little more like controlling and a little more too hands on. And uh, eventually Bungie wanted out. They wanted to work on something other than Halo and eventually kind of got out of their contract and they agreed, you know, to do one more project and that was Halo Reach. And then they went on to do Destiny. They went on to be independent. They got some money from Activision. They partnered with Activision. They they said that was ultimately a mistake and they've been kind of independent for, for over the past year plus now doing their own thing. And on top of that, they've been they've been taking funding. This is, this is the part of me that's like, I don't want Bungie to come back to Microsoft is because of this. So they've been getting some outside funding from, I think it was 10 Tencent, one of those Chinese investment companies that's like just buying up all the game stuff and investing in everyone. And that was one of those things where I'm like, okay, well, if, if they got ties to that shit, I don't know if we, uh, I don't know if we need Bungie back in the Microsoft ecosystem. That, that's, that's something we don't need to have together. So, but it's just, it's crazy to think what could have been. Cause obviously Bungie was such a, obviously the most important studio to Microsoft. They created the killer app that made Xbox a thing with it being Halo, of course. And then, you know, they, they had a falling out. And then during the early to mid destiny days, it was very much a PlayStation thing because Activision and Sony had had marketing deals to make to make uh, destiny kind of the PlayStation thing and and all this shit. And it just seemed like Bungie and Microsoft didn't have a good relationship for a long time. And then all of a sudden, as of this year, you know, now that Bungie's more independent, we've seen Bungie. And this is why I think the story has validity to it or at least some some kind of inkling of, of something going on behind the scenes, is because we've seen Microsoft and Bungie start getting kind of like buddy-buddy again, especially with Destiny coming to Game Pass and with the new Destiny expansion this fall coming to Game Pass, launching day and date, and all this shit. So like things are looking good between Bungie and Microsoft. So clearly something's happening. But after the story broke, uh, Pete Parsons, uh, the CEO of Bungie, came out and was like, yo, this, this just isn't true. He, he, responds, he responds to uh, Nibble, the popular games analyst guy on, on Twitter, uh, and he, he commented on, a, on an article post about this very story and just literally came out and said, this is false. So obviously, you know, if something like this is actually happening, you know, that they wouldn't just come out and, and acknowledge it either way. But the fact that they're willing... But the fact that they're just coming out straight out and being like, yo, this isn't happening, t- tells me that this stuff's likely not actively in the talks. It was more like 
things that were being spitballed and, and, and possibly discussed behind the scenes that aren't actually happening. In fact, Bungie's director of global PR, uh, Vanessa uh, Vanessen, went on Twitter to say, quote, all of the info and speculation out there is not true. We are lucky to have a great relationship with our many friends at Microsoft who play Destiny, and Halo will always have a special place in our hearts. So that was kind of like the ball-busting, bringing back to reality situation that happened. But you got to keep in check. It's like, okay, do we really want Bungie back? I know it's like the idea of having Bungie in the in the Xbox ecosystem is so exciting, but you got to think about it like this. First of all, the Bungie that made Halo really doesn't exist anymore. The team at Bungie has grown like a billion times in size since Destiny became a thing. So the people who work at Bungie today are not the people who made Halo. While yes, there is some veteran talent there, most people have moved on and gone to other projects. Some stayed with 343, uh, many went to new studios and went on to do different things. So, you know, Bungie today is not the people who brought you Halo 3. It's it's the people who brought you Destiny 2. So it's it's a different studio, but I, I know there's a lot of like history there and, and, and desire for those things to, to, to align again and to see Bungie back in the in the Microsoft ecosystem to see like how cool would that be if like Bungie worked with 343 and kind of they worked in tandem on Halo games and and, and Bungie is working on new properties for Xbox and just I mean regardless of what version of Bungie exists today there's no denying that Bungie has has a magic with with the games they create that is unlike any other they're they're one of those studios Bungie is in that like naughty dog tier studio where it's like they just make gold you know and you can say what you want about naughty dog i know they're a little more divisive now since since last of us part two but they really are one of those studios where it's like they're just kind of on that god tier where like everything they make is special whether you love it or not it's just like mechanics are so good the visuals are so good the world building is so good they just understand how to make like boundary pushing games you know and i think that's something bungie really does still have so it'd be really cool to see them with with Xbox. You know, it's like, okay, it kind of makes sense to have a, a team like Bungie because, you know, if the focus is Game Pass and you got a game like Bungie, it's like that's a great thing to have in Game Pass because it's a games as a service. It's always evolving. It's always changing. There's always new expansions being added. So if all that's free to Game Pass subscribers, then that's very much in line with, like, the whole Halo Infinite, Forza platform thing where now our games are more of, like, 10-year platforms and less of, like, single one-and-done games. So you can make an argument for that, but at this point, it's like, how is Destiny like that profitable now that the game is so old? You're really only making money off of, you know, expansions and like in-game currency purchases. So it's not as profitable as if like the game were just coming out now. So that's not really a great idea for Microsoft. And then more to that, it's like, well, they got to work on something else. But Bungie is such a massive team. Bungie is so big. Bungie is like, Bungie's bigger than 343. Bungie is way bigger than any team Microsoft has. So if you buy up a team like that, not only is it going to cost you a massive amount of money to acquire them, but then to keep them running and to fund their games, it's kind of it's kind of untenable. And so it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, Microsoft can afford to, to do like, you know, in exile and studios like that because they're relatively small. Their games are lower, like quicker turnarounds. You know, that kind of stuff works better for Game Pass. They're not the, the company that's sitting there taking eight years to make like their magnum opus and, and have it be like this this world changing game, you know. So Bungie is one of those studios where it's like, is it really financially reasonable to buy a company like Bungie for that much money and then have them just sit there forever working on whatever for however long for it to be, you know, 
just another game on Game Pass. So it, it's it's one of those things where if you're Microsoft, you got to ask yourself how how does this make sense financially? And I don't think it does. So, but the good news here is I I do believe that Microsoft and Bungie are developing a new and closer relationship than they previously had, or at least in the past decade so or so. And so I really hope what this leads to is a Microsoft Bungie partnership where maybe maybe Bungie makes a maybe Bungie makes a game exclusive for Xbox. Maybe Xbox buys a game from them. You know. Maybe Xbox works with them to continue to have exclusive deals with Destiny and Xbox. But I do think we are starting to see the blossoming of the new Xbox and the new Bungie having a good relationship, whereas the old Bungie and the old Xbox didn't have such a great relationship. And so I think that's exciting. And I think it's important for that to exist because regardless of, you know, who like the team that comprises Bungie today or the team behind Xbox today, I think the history of the Bungie studio and the Microsoft brand or the Xbox brand is so intertwined and so important that there will always be a really special soft spot in Xbox gamers hearts for Bungie when it comes, when it comes to the world of Xbox. So uh, that's a a bit of a ball busting uh, story, you know, because it's fun to speculate and think about, you know, I, I know lethal migraine always likes to always bring up, you know, Microsoft has this much money. They can buy whatever they want. I, I know, but like that's not that's not you, you don't get to be a company as wealthy as Microsoft by just throwing your money at whatever you want whenever you want it. You get to be a company like Microsoft by making wise decisions, by seeing the forest through the trees and and and, see, and, and saying, hey, this is this is this is a financially viable thing. This is what we think we can get out of this. This is why this acquisition makes sense, or or why we see this as being a good decision for us for now. But I just I don't personally see how you make this work out. Um, I I would love for it to be the case. I would love for it to just be wrong. Just just like I would love for Microsoft to just come out and be like, "Fuck it, we're uh, we're 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 getting the band back together. We're bringing back Windows Phone. We're getting the old Nokia team back together. We're just going back to where we left off with Windows Phone. This makes no sense. It's so expensive, but we're gonna do it anyway, just to make Jesse and a couple other stupid Windows Phone fans happy. Like as much as that would make me happy, I understand why it's never gonna happen. It's because it, it doesn't make sense for Microsoft to do that. And I think, you know, while not really a one-to-one comparison, I don't think acquiring a studio like Bungie makes sense for the Xbox of today. Because the Bungie of today is very different from the Bungie of then. And the Xbox of today is very different from the Xbox of then. Remember, Xbox used to be making one-and-done games, and now they're all about Game Pass. And Bungie used to be making one-and-done games like Halo, and now they're all about games as a service like destiny so there these these companies are in very different places and uh although i i think you could argue that games like destiny and services like game pass maybe line up a little better than than you might think but 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 who knows it's just uh let's let's not make ourselves heart sick by dwelling on this too much right so next story here is ubisoft held their second ubisoft forward event this past week and during it they announced the prince of persia remake so the very first prince of persia game sands of time will be getting a remake next year the game which was being built from the ground up in the company's anvil game engine the version used for the newest assassin's creed game and is uh, is this new studio's first game and this is a i think this is a new studio in india if i'm not if i'm not uh, mistaken it's it's being led by ubisoft uh poon poon uh and ubisoft mumbai uh both of which are both of which have only worked on things like just dance and stuff in the past so relatively new studio 
The game will come out on January 21st, 2021. For $40, it'll be available on Xbox One and PC. And the game is backwards compatibility on the series has backwards compatibility on Xbox Series X and S. Um, now, the game, for those who don't remember, Sands of Time was originally like released back in 2003. It was like a PS2 Xbox game. Um, it was a little more linear. It was kind of like the precursor to Assassin's Creed. And then when Assassin's Creed took off, Prince of Persia went bye bye. But yeah, this is this is a really exciting announcement, but it seems like a lot of people were pretty bummed out about it, actually, just because, well, one, visually people were saying that the game doesn't look too great, and I, I can kind of agree. It doesn't look amazing, but it looks solid enough. Uh, but the bigger complaint was that the game's 40 bucks and it just comes with the first game, whereas, you know, we're seeing all these remakes these days be like, you get the whole collection in one package for 40 or 60 bucks. So a lot of people were expecting the whole original um, uh, Prince of Persia trilogy, one, two, and three, included for uh, for like sixty bucks or forty bucks or something. But instead, they're just doling out one at a time. So that's been a point of contention about about this announcement for a lot of people is is the value proposition, whether or not it's actually there. Personally, I don't take too much issue with this. I think they're just trying to test the wires to see you know, give this new studio kind of a testing ground to see, like, show us your stuff, and also see, like, is the market interested in Prince of Persia? Is this something we need to bring back? So there's a couple things at play here, and I, I know it seems like a bad value proposition when you compare it to something like the, the Crash or Spyro trilogies, but I, at the same time, or even, like, the new Tony Hawk remake, with, which comes with two games, but at the same time, you you gotta, you can't, I don't think we can hold everyone to the same standard, you know? It's like Prince of Persia was a $50 game in 2003 when it came out. Now you're getting the remake of it for 40 bucks. You know, I don't think that's a terrible deal. It's like a 10-hour game. I think $40 for a 10-hour uh, remake of a, of a classic game is, is a pretty reasonable ask. Um, but at the same time, I understand how it may seem less valuable just because of what, you know, the market has, what we've seen in the market in recent years because of, like some of Activision's, you know, recent HD collections. So that or or remake collections rather. Um, so I, I understand the complaint, but at the same time, I, I it's one of those things where I'm like, just just wait, wait for the product, wait to see how it plays and how much you actually miss Prince of Persia, and, and then ask yourself, is that worth forty bucks? Because you know me, you know I'm, I'm a big fan of the quality over, you know. I'm a big fan of like the quality of the experience over the amount of content you get kind of person. So I'll gladly pay 40 bucks for a 10 hour game. As long as that 10 hours is worth $40. I'm not one of those, like I need to get a bunch of bang for my buck. I need to get 10 games and 70 hours a game in, in for 60 bucks. You know, I, I, I try to not be that unrealistic about it, but I understand when it comes to remakes, we're kind of having a different conversation. So there is, a, this is kind of a bit of a gray area to me. I don't know. Um, now if we see them do like, if we see them like just keep doling them all out, like one by one by one like this, that might maybe a problem. But my, my wonder is almost as this is just like a one and done remake. And if it's really successful, they'll just make a new assassin or a new Prince of Persian, Prince of Persia game. Sorry. I keep trying to call it Assassin's Creed, but I don't know for $40. You let me know. Does this really upset you all that much? I, I feel like it's kind of an overblown thing to complain about, but here, here we are. All right. And then. Our next one here is keeping with the Ubisoft uh, forward event, Gods and Monsters, which was recently renamed to Immortals Phoenix Rising, which is a far inferior name, uh, was recently revealed and, and then shown off during the shown off during the Ubisoft forward event. Um, so the company showed off the game uh, and and also gave it a release date of December third, twenty twenty, which is a little surprising as we didn't know it'd be coming out so soon, especially because until now we'd never seen gameplay of it. Uh, but this was a really, uh, 
This is a really happy kind of little uh, surprise here because this is a nice little game we can enjoy on our next-gen consoles this holiday season. So the the kind of box quote for it says, Immortals Phoenix Rising is a fresh and witty take on open-world action-venture genre featuring dynamic action, combat, and stories inspired by Greek mythology. Roam freely across a beautiful stylized world and use extraordinary abilities gifted um, by the gods against fearsome mythological creatures. Uh, treacherous, tri- treacherous trials, heroic feats, and the very underworld itself await your bravery. Experience tales for the ages of gods and monsters and become a legend you were desired, you were destined to be. So for those who don't know, this game looks very much like a Zelda Breath of the Wild kind of game with some like more magical, fantasiful kind of bullshit going on um, in like kind of a Greek setting. Now, I, I'm still personally conflicted on whether or not I think this game looks good. This is a rare example of a game where I think I, I actually need reviews in order to make a decision for myself of whether or not I'm interested in this. Whereas usually I'm just I'm more of a kind of person where like I know if I'm interested in something from the moment I see it. But yeah, this is a this is one of those games where I just can't tell if I'm actually interested in it or not, which probably means you just need to wait for a price drop before you ever jump in. But yeah, this I mean this game does look more interesting than I thought it would be. It's like it looks like it literally looks like Zelda Breath of the Wild mixed with Kid Icarus, which is awesome. Those are two Zelda franchises I like a lot, especially Kid Icarus being something we never get anymore. So I am interested to give that a try, um, but I just hope it doesn't fall victim to that like kind of bland, uninspired Ubisoft effect that you sometimes see. Uh, but I don't know. The game kind of looks interesting, so we'll see. My brother is more into it than I am. He was telling me that like it looks exactly like Breath of the Wild down to like the shrines and everything, but you know what? As someone who never touches their Switch anymore, maybe that's what I need is a, uh, a Zelda Breath of the Wild clone to play on my Xbox Series X this December 3rd. Uh, the game is also coming to Switch, which is funny because directly competing with Zelda then. But yeah, it lo- I think it looks uh, pretty interesting. Let me know what you guys think about that game. I, I, I think the bigger news here is that it's so imminently coming out. Um, so that will be... I think Ubisoft is just trying to get some games out before the year ends or before their fiscal quarter ends, just because just because they were supposed to have, they were supposed to have more games out in the past year, but as you might remember, they, they delayed a bunch of stuff after that new Ghost Recon didn't do quite as well as they had anticipated. And I think now they're just like, hey, we we haven't had a lot of things released this year. We, we got to get some shit out the door. So I don't know, but we'll, we'll continue to keep an eye on that. Let me know what you guys think about that game. I think it's, uh, it's, it's pretty compelling looking, but not like an instant, like, win me over kind of game so all right our next one here wrapping up with the ubisoft news the last like big thing they announced at the uh ubisoft forward event was riders republic which is a new open world extreme sports game from ubisoft annecy the studio behind steep which you might remember i think that was released back in like 2016 it was like that snowboarding kind of extreme winter sports game uh it has scheduled it's scheduled to arrive on xbox series x and pc and xbox and xbox one on February 25th, 2021, set across seven U.S. national parks and landmarks stitched together into a seamless open world, Riders Republic, uh, Republic will uh, Republic <laughs> Riders Republic will offer five different sports: uh, skiing, snowboarding, downhill biking, wingsuiting, and amazingly, rocket wingsuiting. Uh, more on which, uh, w- w- whatever the hell that is. So. So the game does promise to be 60, to run at 60 FPS on next-gen consoles, but they haven't confirmed exactly the platforms. Obviously, they'll probably run at Xbox Series X. Um, and then 
but the game will kind of run just so you know as like a 50 ish uh kind of battle royale style sporting event game so it's kind of like taking the idea of multiple players elimination like battle royale and taking it into like the competitive extreme sports environment where it's like you know groups of 50 players ish will be competing in certain events and and of course the last man standing will win so it'll be something like you know the mechanics of a battle royale but it, but used in the context of like a competitive sporting event which is i think a pretty good use for that kind of game uh, but yeah, definitely a build off of the of Steep, which was definitely a lot more of a what seemed more of like a mellow kind of Zen version of extreme sports, if that makes sense. Compared to this, which seems like more of like an active multiplayer um, competitive type of deal. So I think this game's kind of interesting. This this game reminds me of one thing I really love about Ubisoft. Like this isn't a game I would play by any stretch of the imagination. I'll probably never buy it. I'm not going to buy a game about snowboarding or anything like that unless it's like SSX3 or something like that. But this is the kind of game where I'm like, I don't really know who this is for. And I don't know that I would ever play a game like this. And I don't think we get enough of this anymore. Like, I feel like every game is trying to be about shooter or procedurally generated or Metroidvania or action adventure or whatever it is. And so few games try to do stuff like this. Like, I can't name another game that sounds like this game. So that in and of itself is, I think, worth were some recognition and so and steep was kind of of the same ilk where it's like i feel like steep came and went and not many people talked about it um but it was one of those games where it's like there was nothing like it there was nothing else on the market that was comparable to it so i i just love i love that ubisoft can be such a big publisher and and be a little more willing to take risks and try new things you know compared to like the eas and the activisions and such and so i don't know that's just kind of my take on something like this i look at it and like this is not a game for me it's not a game i'm excited about or that i'll probably ever play but i hope it finds its market and i hope it i hope it does well i just uh I don't know, i'm just grateful to see new ideas be tried like this even if it isn't something that's necessarily my thing so i don't know and that was mostly it for the e for the ubisoft forward event there were some other smaller announcements but that was like the big stuff that happened there um now that's going to do it for all like the bigger news stories as we kind of got to wrap this this podcast up. Now, we have a ton of smaller stories, but first, I think we'll go over the August NPD numbers as they are now out. Now, as you know, the NPD tracks uh, top-selling hardware and software um, for, you know, month-to-month, and, and August numbers are out. So, the best-selling games across all platforms in order from number 1 through 20 uh, are as follows. Madden NFL 21, which is apparently pretty buggy and broken which is unusual for that franchise uh number two is ufc four three is call of duty modern warfare which is you know the 2019 version not the 2007 version uh number four is ghost of tsushima five is surprise surprise animal crossing new horizons uh number six is ring fit adventure which is pretty cool it seems like a lot of people uh under house arrest due to covid are, are trying to get in shape with their nintendo switch which is respectable pretty cool number seven is mario kart 8 deluxe the game that just won't die uh number eight is super smash bros ultimate nine is paper mario the origami king are you seeing a you seeing a reoccurring thing here 10 is mortal kombat 11 11 is breath of the wild 12 is last of us part 2 13 is minecraft playstation 4 edition which is funny uh 14 is pga tour 2k21 15 is new super mario bros u deluxe 16 is super mario party 17 is tom clancy's rainbow six siege 18 is mario odyssey 19 Final Fantasy, Final Fantasy 12 Remake, and 20 is Luigi's Mansion 3. So let me real quick count that. 1, 
So 10 of the top 20 games are Nintendo Switch exclusives, or Nintendo games. So if you're Nintendo right now, you're uh, you're doing pretty well for yourselves. You're just making like crazy fucking money because everyone is stuck in their homes. It's COVID, and they're all getting on their Nintendo Switches, Nintendo Switches, and impulse buying all the $60 Nintendo games. So that's that's fucking crazy. Obviously, Microsoft doesn't have shit to show here, and I think the more Game Pass takes off, the more you're going to see that be a reoccurring theme. But nonetheless. You know, you always see a little bit of Minecraft up there. You always see some Call of Duty. It looks like we're probably always going to see some Mario Kart and Animal Crossing. But, uh, yeah, not not too uncommon. This this early, this early late summer, early fall period is usually dominated by the, the sports releases. So, pretty common to see Madden up there, UFC. Um, and then usually like some, like, WWE game or something like that or some soccer game. Once we, once we get the soccer games, those go up pretty high. But yeah, pretty pretty standard expected stuff. The Last of Us Part Two kind of dropping a little bit, but that's usually how those games do, where it's kind of single player adventure games where they make all their money in the first few weeks and then kind of die off. But that's all the bigger news stories. Now we'll jump into the important enough news stories, stories important enough to make the podcast, but not important enough to warrant their own discussions, of which we have quite a handful. So we'll just kind of rattle them off one by one. I'm starting to get a sore throat from talking alone to the microphone nonstop for so long now. But first, we've got 343 Industries announced that Halo 3 ODST will launch on PC on September 22nd, this Tuesday, as part of Halo the Master Chief Collection. Fittingly enough, this is the exact same day that Halo 3 ODST first launched on the Xbox 360 back in 2009, which I cannot believe was 11 years ago. Next, Minecraft Dungeons came to Xbox Cloud Gaming this week on mobile, and and with it came the first title on Cloud Gaming to support touch controls, making the need for physical controllers a total preference. Xbox promises this functionality for new games over time. Next, Psionics have announced that Rocket League will officially be going free-to-play next Wednesday on September 23rd, 2020. Next, Microsoft and Taco Bell have announced a new partnership today, joining or have announced a new partnership, joining together for Xbox Series X giveaways. Starting on September 24th, anyone who purchases a medium or large drink at Taco Bell through the app or in person is entered into a contest to win an Xbox Series X. Per the fine print, you can enter up to three times a day, though the contest is only available in the U.S., so suck it, everyone else. Anyone who wins will get an Xbox Series X bundle. Uh, That includes a console, new controller, six months of Game Pass Ultimate, and uh, maybe, maybe a taco. Next, Activision have revealed that Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War's beta will have uh, will happen this upcoming weekend, meaning that it's taking place as of the time you're listening to this show. And for players to get it, and players will now have a chance to play uh, from October 15th through the 19th. Uh, gamers will be able to test out the latest Call of Duty multiplayer offering, and what else is there to say about that? Next, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, the game, will be available on modern consoles in in time for the holiday season. Finally coming back, the co- the complete edition of the game also includes DLC that unlocks Scott's exes, Knives Chow, and, and his roommate, Wallace Wells. Expect an Xbox launch later in the year. Next, Ubisoft's upcoming pirate game, uh, Skull and Bones, hasn't been, hasn't been seen in some time, but the company has issued an update on the game's development, um, saying that Elizabeth pa- uh, Pellin, creative director on Skull and Bones, joined the team about two years ago, and she writes, We dreamed something bigger for Skull and Bones, and these ambitious and these ambitions naturally came with bigger challenges. Uh, Pellin further explains that Skull and Bones' scope has grown and that the game will be, need, will be needing delays as a result. Pellin says that Skull and Bones will be shown off in, uh, in a comeback way sometime in 2021. The game is being developed primarily by U- Ubisoft Singapore with support from Berlin, 
uh, Kiev, Paris, and Philippine Studios. Next, as we grow near to the game's release, Cyberpunk 2077, developer CD Projekt Red, is looking to keep the excitement going with another episode of Night City Wire. The third episode of CD Projekt Red's Cyberpunk-themed stream will air on September 18th on their Twitch channel. Next, Tom Clancy's Rainbow Six Siege is headed to next-gen consoles, with visual upgrades heading to the Series X. Ubisoft further outlined that uh, future plans for the multiplayer shooter on Thursday. Ubisoft further outlined future plans um, for the game, like setting the uh, resolution target to 4K with 120 FPS uh, on both upcoming flagship consoles but we only care about the Series X. And lastly, announced during the company's PAX Online 2020 showcase, Gearbox have confirmed that Borderlands is coming to the Xbox Series X and will run at 60 FPS and at 4K. And if you own the game on current-gen consoles, you'll receive a free upgrade to the respective next-gen version at no additional cost and be able to carry over all cross all, all save files and additional purchases. Along with this news comes word that the game will be getting additional DLCs later in the year, while the next, P- while the next paid DLC won't be Uh, Similar to the campaign DLCs that have been part of the season past, it will include both a new game mode and a new skill tree for each Vault Hunter, which also means new action skills. And that's going to do it for all the news for the week. Now guys, normally at this point we would go over the game releases of the week from the Xbox Wire. Xbox Wire did come back with a drop this week, so, so we got it again. Uh, and there are 16 new games coming out, but since we're so strapped for time, I'm just going to go through some of the more notable ones. So eFootball Pez 2021 is coming out. So if you want to get your less popular soccer alternative game, that's that's there you go. Shotgun Farmers is coming out September 17th. And I only mention this game because it just looks so wacky. There's This guy's holding like a rifle that looks like a stalk of corn. And he's shooting this farmer and it just looks like a fun, wacky indie game. Uh, Welcome to Elk is is a game that looks like Wells Far- Wells Fargo is a game that looks like Where's Waldo, uh, but as uh, a video game. Um, but yeah, also Crisis Remastered coming out September 18th. So that after a little bit of a delay, it's finally coming out to Xbox. Uh, should look a little better now that they they put a little more work into making it work out and all that good shit. And then WWE 2K Battlegrounds, the more arcadey. Um, wrestling fighting game that's like an all that's in replacement of the regular ww2k game um that that's being postponed till next year is out so so now you got like an arcadey kind of substitute to get your wrestling fixed this year while we wait for the regular wwe franchise to kind of get shit back together after last year's debacle of a launch and those are kind of all the big notable game releases of the week now with that guys i'm going to remind you of your games with gold for the rest of the month, you got the Tom Clancy's The Division, the first one. You can download that sucker. The Book of Unwritten Tales 2 is available starting on September 16th, so starting now and through October 15th. The uh, Blob 2, if you missed it, you fucking missed it, so screw you, it's gone. And then Armed and Dangerous is available from now until the 30th, uh, so download that before it's gone. And those are your Xbox games with gold. Now, guys, that's going to do it for the end of the podcast, but I'm going to remind you, don't say I didn't remind you guys, Xbox Series S and X pre-orders begin on Tuesday, the 22nd. Now, right now, the rumor is that the pre-orders might go live at midnight or 3 a.m. or 8 a.m. So I think the first rumor I saw was that it's going to be 8 a.m. in the U.K., which is apparently midnight on the on the West Coast here in the U.S., which is would be 3 a.m. on the East Coast where I live. So I don't know. Try to find out what time zone this shit's going live, but... 
remember, I'm just, I'm just trying to help you. I know if you're listening to this podcast, there's a good chance you're a big Xbox fan. You're planning on getting a next-gen console. You want to be there at the beginning of this. I know I'm already a little nervous about locking in my pre-order for the Series X because I don't know how short su- short supply these consoles are going to be. But this Tuesday, the 22nd, is the day. Make sure you follow. I don't know. Fo- try to follow someone who's in the know on the Xbox community. I don't. I don't know. I can't imagine someone who is an Xbox-centric Twitter user uh, who might maybe have an Xbox podcast about one host doing one console all the time in the butt. But this, it could be me. I don't know. It could be me. Uh, but you can follow me on Twitter. I'll, I'll try to tweet out as soon as I know more about this or retweet or just try to get the word out there because I do want to make sure that, you know, you guys are able to get your pre-orders in and that I'm able to get my pre-order in because I want to make sure, you know, the fans are taken care of. The fans got to get their pre-orders in so that we can talk about how much better the Series X is than the PS5. But but all, all seriousness, though, I will, I will be trying to tweet out or retweet any information I learn at, throughout the week as we learn more about that. So if you do want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at secondbestrock.com. It's my Twitter handle. I think it's the first time I've ever said it on the show. But I, this this is actually a serious situation. I, I want to make sure people are able to get their Series X pre-orders. So Tuesday the 22nd, if you're on the East Coast U.S. like me, it looks like maybe 3 a.m. If you're on the West Coast U.S., some, some or if you're on the West Coast, maybe midnight. If you're in the U.K., it might be 8 a.m. I, I don't know. I don't understand time zones, you guys. I'm a tiny-brained man here, but... Uh, in addition to following me, maybe follow Xbox on Twitter or something like that and, and just kind of see what they say as they announce more information on the pre-orders. Guys, this is it. Next time we meet, hopefully we will all have our pre-orders locked in for our new consoles. Everything will be good. Uh, COVID will have three cures uh, and you will be able to pick it in your own flavor variety, cherry, watermelon, or 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 chocolate, vanilla. And uh, that will do it for this week's podcast, guys. Remember, uh, PlayStation sucks. Xbox is awesome. And uh, power your dreams.